Good morning. It is a Thursday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. I am Glenn Clark. He's Griffin Bass. He's legal now. Something like that. Now he's going away, and uh, we'll settle back in again in a couple weeks. We've got a lot to do on the program today. Some of our uh, weekly features that just got moved around this week. Patrick Stevens is going to join us. We'll preview the lacrosse Final Four with him here a little bit later on this hour, also later on this hour. We're going to chat with Carlos Colazzo every week. We do a segment about the MLB draft, and this week Carlos Colazzo from Baseball America moves into the hot seat. We'll get his thoughts about uh, what the Orioles do with the number one overall pick, what the options might be if they try to go another college bat route, Things along those lines. Speaking of lacrosse, Jonathan Donville from the University of Maryland. Midfielder, transfer from Cornell, who could end up playing against Cornell in Monday's championship game, which is kind of one of the wild, wild storylines about the weekend. We'll uh, chat with him about that, but obviously they've got Princeton first on Saturday. So, yeah, Maryland-Princeton, the second semifinal Rutgers Cornell, the first one on uh, Saturday up in Hartford, Connecticut. And also this morning, we will uh, catch up. We'll make our weekly visit to the Bowie Bay Sox, where we will chat with skipper Kyle Moore. Apparently, it's Managers Week this week. We had Buck Britton on yesterday. Kyle Moore on today from Bowie. So all of that coming up on the program today. Today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland. I keep trying to tell you what a weekend it's going to be. Not only do you have all of the basketball and hockey playoffs, which continue, we know that Friday night there will be a game six, a chance for the Celtics to close out the heat at home. What a dreadful basketball. My God, how much dreadful basketball has there been? Although the hockey was really good last night. Speaking of which, the uh, that series will continue on Friday as well between Colorado and St. Louis. We know there's going to be more playoff action in the weekend. We also know that Saturday afternoon, there's a UEFA Champions League final between Liverpool and Real Madrid. And then we know that Saturday night, there's a huge fight. Baltimore's own Gervonta Tank Davis taking on Rolando Romero up in New York. You can watch it in the FanDuel Sportsbook and bet on it. So many prop bets available. If you're like Griffin and all you can think about is the French Open, then you can watch the French Open all weekend long, get your bets in there, and on Sunday, of course, the Indianapolis 500. All of it. Hang out in the FanDuel Sportsbook, 61 self-service kiosks in order to get your bets in. So if you're up early, like right now, the FanDuel Sportsbook is not open yet, but if you want to bet on, oh, it's Madison Keys. Oh, they're already in the second set. But you could live bet it. Whatever I don't know what your options would be. You could live bet Madison Keys to finish off this second-round matchup at the French Open right now on one of those uh, 61 self-service kiosks because they are open 24-7. Whether or not the actual sportsbook is open, the self-service kiosks are open for you to get your bets in at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. And you can reserve a table or reclining chairs or whatever it is that you want for all of the big events this weekend by emailing events at sportssocialmd.com. Okay, the Orioles lost last night 2-0 to the Yankees. Here are all my thoughts about it. <laughs> got to score some runs, man. Like I don't, I don't know what there is to say. You got to score some runs. Had some chances. Had uh, runners on the corners in the ninth inning. Biggest take. Mm, yeah. We're doing, Biggest we're, take, we're doing right? well. Yeah. 
Biggest yeah. takeaway, you know, Adley had his first career multi-hit game. There's that, yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't help them score any runs. I, that, that's the biggest takeaway. And, uh, yeah, I mean. it's Might be better than a win. Uh, no. No, it's not that. It's definitely not that. Uh, they now shift the Boston where, again, they'll play five games. I saw yesterday everybody was getting hot and bothered by Brandon Hyde saying, yes, there's a chance that uh, one of the starters they'll need this weekend against Boston could come from AAA. And again, I, I mean this all through. You guys realize there are people not named Grayson Rodriguez who pitch for the Norfolk Tides, right? I don't say that to try to be a jerk. I just sometimes we want an answer to be something that an answer isn't. Which, again, anything we know from Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. Literally anything is possible. It's not impossible that Grayson Rodriguez makes his first start this weekend in Boston. It's just not likely. It would be extraordinarily surprising for that to be the case for a multitude of reasons, not the least of which would be the fact that it would be on the road. Why would you do that? You add in the, hey, what was the plan? And we were talking about that with Chelsea James in the Washington Post yesterday, and she, you know, I, I, I think the answer she gave you would say it was kind of a cop-out, but it's not. It's exactly what the, whatever the plan was with Grayson Rodriguez is going to be the plan. The idea that they are going to detour from their Grayson Rodriguez plan simply because they need a pitcher in Boston this week will not prove to be the case. But if this was about when they thought Grayson Rodriguez would be here, then he'll probably be here. I just don't believe that's the case. I don't believe it. I think there are other guys who can pitch that you can call up in order to get through one game and then revisit this next week and see where you are. That's the reality. Can pitch two games if necessary in order to get you through until Spencer Watkins is ready to return to the rotation. I do agree that the answer should not be Keegan Aiken. Keegan Aiken is pitching so well out of the bullpen, you don't screw with this. Now, if you want to throw a bullpen game at some point during the weekend, probably Saturday, not the best day to do that. It's very difficult to get through two games of a doubleheader while using one of them bullpenning. But if you want to make some game Monday, perhaps, and have to do the math on whether or not that would work. I don't know if it would work in normal rest. Well, there's an off day today. So you might be able to make it work on Monday. Hang on a second. I'm I'm a smart guy. Wednesday Wednesday was yesterday, right? So yeah. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No, you can't do that. You couldn't make it Monday, which would be the most ideal day for there to be a bullpenning day. Maybe you could make it Friday. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let's see if the Orioles have announced anything as far as pitchers are concerned. Um, and I guess you could make more roster moves after Saturday. You know, you could do it Sunday. That really could be the answer. The answer could be that you could do it Sunday. Although I think the problem is when Watkins' turn through the rotation comes back up, Watkins pitched on Sunday, so his turn would be one of the games on Saturday. But on normal rest, you could make it Friday. You could, you could do it Friday. I'm doing all this off the top of my head, so I apologize to those of you that are... You could do it Friday. You could do a bullpenning game. Keep everybody else on normal rest. But you would still need a second starter on Sunday. 
That's the pro. That is the problem. Inevitably, that's the problem with this. You just got too many games that you're trying to play in too short of it. You should be playing five games in four days. That's insane. Who's allowing for this? Hell, you could bullpen two games out of the weekend because you could make enough roster moves in order to pull this off. That seems more likely, honestly. You could you could bullpen one of the Saturday games, Monday. But the Saturday thing is so t- it's so yeah. tough to bullpen a game in doubleheader and then have to play another game because what happens if your starter goes out early? Yeah, yeah, early in that game, it's really tricky to bull to to have to bullpen one of your games in a doubleheader. I'm glad it's not my job. Eh, I mean, I've seen the paychecks. I'd probably be willing to take it. Like even if I wasn't good at it, I'd probably be willing to take it. I don't know. I'm, I'm overthinking this. It's not all that big of a deal. I just don't think it's going to end up being Grayson Rodriguez. I think those of you that are getting your hopes up that it's Grayson Rodriguez will prove to be disappointed. And and more moreover, what I would say is I'll continue to say it would be a mistake for it to be Grayson Rodriguez. And the way that it was a mistake, the idea of, of bringing Adley Rutschman up on the road, and frankly it was a mistake that you did it the way that you did it, it would also be a mistake to do this with Grayson Rodriguez. It would be a mistake to have him make his first appearance on the road simply because you need a pitcher. That's we're not you're not in the middle of a playoff race. So there's that. The Orioles lose 2 nothing to the Yankees. It's what it is. Nothing you can do about it. As far as Lamar Jackson not being at OTAs, let's, let's just dive in a little bit on this. The first thought I have is, one, who cares? Right? Like, who cares? Voluntary OTAs. Irrelevant. Now, I get it. We all want our little safety blanket. We all want to act like Linus. And we all want to believe that the more time that a quarterback spends with his offensive players during the offseason, the better the chances of that guy winning the Super Bowl are. There is literally nothing that proves that to be even remotely true, but it's just what we want to believe. We want to believe that your best chance of winning a Super Bowl is for your quarterback to get together with your wide receivers and your tight ends and all the guys, your offensive players, as much as possible during the course of the offseason. It's not real. No matter how many times we try to say it, it's this dumb thing that we have done forever. Well, we used to do this to Joe Flacco all the time. Did Joe Flacco get together with his wide receivers in the offseason? Huh? That guy sucks. It is irrelevant. Irrelevant. Can it hurt? No, probably not. Is there any definitive proof whatsoever that it helps? Not one iota. Which doesn't mean that it's what you're rooting for if you're the Baltimore Ravens. If you're the Baltimore Ravens, you like to have all of your players in the building as much as you possibly can. The reason for that, though, is largely esoteric. You believe that, hey, if all of your guys are in the building, then nothing bad can happen. We've got, we've got them under control. You're not particularly worried about Lamar Jackson getting into trouble, not being in the building in Baltimore. So then who cares? Again, somebody would say, look, you've got a a less experienced group of receivers. Even if there's no guarantee that it helps, it sure can't hurt to spend more time with them. Okay, we'll just ride with that. Again, there is no proof that it's actually helpful, but we'll ride with that for the hell of it. Sure. Sure. You'd love for him to be there. 
Is it hurting? No. But would it be nice? Would it make you feel better? Would it? Is it like the guarantee fairy, but it's got to be your bull from Tommy Boy? Yeah, it's something like that. Why isn't he there? Well, it's voluntary OTAs. Nobody, Marcus Williams isn't there. Marcus Williams just got a boatload of money from the Baltimore Ravens. And Marcus Williams isn't there. These are voluntary OTAs. There's a reason why the word voluntary is involved. You can be there, you can not be there. Lamar Jackson isn't saying anything. We are deciding that this probably has something to do with his contract. And maybe it does. But if it does, it's the quietest protest in the history of football. At no point is Lamar Jackson saying, like, yeah, I'd be there if they would just pay me. Again, all of the reporting we have is the exact opposite. The Ravens want to pay him, and Lamar Jackson doesn't want to do it. So I get why it is that we're tying it to the contract. I understand that. That is a reason why a lot of players don't show up for off-season team activities or training camp. This would be more powerful if Lamar Jackson wasn't showing up for the start of training camp. That would be more easier to directly correlate with some form of protest about his contract situation. But what makes it make no sense, and I keep coming back to this, is one, the reporting that we have, and two... The idea that if the Ravens were lowballing Lamar Jackson, why didn't he use his power to demand a trade? And I'll continue to say this forever. This thing where we want to pretend like quarterbacks don't have the leverage already, that free agency is the only way to get the complete leverage, is simply not true. And we know that because the guy that was being investigated by the NFL that was hasn't played for a year, that was potentially going to get suspended was the guy that was able to force his way to a fully guaranteed contract with another team via a trade where they had to give up multiple picks the quarterbacks have all of the power and all of the leverage so if this is a protest from lamar jackson it's a horrendous protest If it's about getting the money, the easiest way to do it is very simple. Pay me or trade me. One or the other, your choice. Choose your own adventure. I don't care. Pay me or trade me. That's how you use your leverage. Holding out of a week of voluntary OTAs is not how you use your leverage. Marcus Williams ain't there. Michael Pierce isn't there. Plenty of players are not there for voluntary OTAs. That's not the way you go about making your statement known that you're unhappy. You do it by saying, I'm looking around at the quarterback situation. Clearly, none of these teams like the quarterbacks they drafted because they all drafted them in the third round or later. It was a bloodbath, except for Pittsburgh, of course. It was a bloodbath for quarterbacks in the NFL draft. Malik Willis was supposed to be a high draft pick and slipped forever. And maybe he'll prove out to to be a good player. I don't know. But the teams really didn't like the quarterbacks in the draft. Really didn't like them. So there are definitely unhappy teams with their quarterback. But Seattle still doesn't have one. Seattle's doing a really wacky bit. Where they're just like, we don't need a quarterback to win. We don't need one at all. 
We can just line Griffin up, and we'll go play, see how it goes. At least some of the other teams have somebody that might be a quarterback. I mean, I, Carolina went with Matt Coral a little bit later on in the draft. We know Sam Darnold's not a quarterback. I don't know, Atlanta used a pick on Desmond Ritter. Maybe he's a quarterback. I think we're pretty sure at this point that Marcus Mariota isn't. At least some other teams could play the maybe game. Like, maybe we have a guy that could be the guy. I, it's a, it's a, you're hard-pressed to believe that, and you can't possibly think that it would be the reason why they wouldn't be in on Lamar Jackson's sweepstakes. Imagine Carolina saying, no, we can't trade for Lamar Jackson because we drafted Matt Coral. If this is about Lamar Jackson being unhappy and wanting him to force his way to a deal, it's a nonsensical way to do it. And in fact, him tweeting, I can't wait to be back, would suggest he's not unhappy. So I I don't know what it is, man. I don't know. It would be nice to know where he is health-wise. I mean, we've seen video of him running around, working out. It would be nice to see him out there and know that like he's fully healthy, which we think he is, but you know, we don't know that until we see it. I just don't understand the direct jump to the idea that this is about Lamar Jackson's... Con- like, none these things don't line up. It, it would be the politest protest in the history of the NFL. We, we, I so badly want to be there that I won't consider threatening a, a trade. And I'm, I'm not really holding out. I'm telling you I'm excited to be back. I, I would just re- it'd be really nice if you would, guys would think about giving me money, like if you guys would consider that. Even more reason that it's not really that big of a deal. Aaron Rodgers, also not at OTAs. But, 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 so you're le- the last three MVPs are not reporting at there, OTAs. There is right a... There is a um, there's a thought, I believe I saw from Jeff Zrebeck, that Lamar has been there for voluntary OTAs in the past. So, let me just double check. I, I remember reading a piece from Zrebeck. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yes, uh, Jackson has participated in OTAs in previous off-seasons. So, yeah, you can certainly say it's different, but whether that's about... And somebody would say... Somebody would say it's hey, it's about the injury risk. You just don't want to do anything where you're risking injury of any sort. And I don't really know how much of an injury risk there is to voluntary OTAs. I would hope beyond hope that the Baltimore Ravens would literally do everything in their power to make sure that come hell or high water, the guy who will single-handedly determine whether or not they can have a successful season wouldn't get hurt at voluntary OTAs. But somebody might say that hey, it's about mitigating injury risk. But again, that doesn't make sense either because that's the reason why you need to get a deal done. That's the reason why you force your leverage. You have the leverage. We know that. Deshaun Watson is definitive proof. There are plenty of other examples, but the debate ended with Deshaun Watson. You have all of the power, all of it, 100% of the power. So you force it. Pay me or trade me. 
and we have nothing that suggests that that's what's going on with Lamar Jackson. Zero. So him not showing up at voluntary OTAs is not going to suddenly make me believe that's what's going on. It's voluntary OTAs. Marcus Williams just got paid. Tons of money. And he ain't there. That's my, that's my thoughts about that. Today's show also brought to you by the Baltimore Police. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore Police. Make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages. Excellent benefits on day one. Join for good. BPDrecruit.org. Every week we talk MLB draft until the Orioles make the first pick in the 2022 MLB draft come All-Star weekend. Joining us now, tell us more about his thoughts, of course, from Baseball America. He is Mr. Carlos Colazzo, and he's with us on GCR. Carlos, it's Glenn and Griffin in Baltimore. It's good to chat with you again, man. Thank you for taking the time for us. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. It's good to hear from you. Carlos, I, I know it's been a few weeks since we've last seen a mock draft from you. Is there any is there any reason to think that like you've changed your mind about anything related to the top of the draft? Uh, yeah, I think we're constantly changing our minds this time of year. You know, We're getting closer. I think the last time we put out a mock, we were very much still in the speculative area. There wasn't really too much hard information on the ground. And I feel like now we're getting into the point in the year where you are starting to hear a few rumors. And then I guess the biggest challenge is trying to decide which of those rumors are legit and which of those are just noise. Because as you guys know, with Baltimore picking at the top, it is always very tricky. Uh, they're always very creative. It's never a straightforward process. So I think we're starting to get into that, that peak mock draft season, and you guys should see some updated mocks from us in the very near future. So I'm in a weird place, Carlos, where I have accepted from from ever you know the, the multitude of folks that I have chatted with about this, I have come around to the idea that Drew Jones is the de facto top player in this draft. But what I haven't come yeah. around to is the idea that that means that's what the Orioles are doing with the number one pick. And, and I, I still – I almost operate – I assume college bat until they prove otherwise to me. Am I wrong to feel that way? I mean, no, that, that's honestly how I come about things, too. I think I'm, I'm with you on all of those. It definitely seems like Drew is the consensus top player in the class. Like you said, that, that definitely doesn't mean Baltimore's going to take him. I mean, they did take Adley Rutschman when he was the consensus top player in the class in 2019, and they were picking 1-1, but I do think the college factor there changes things a little bit, whether or not they – they would want to do that with a high school player or, or even still, I don't know that the gap between Drew and the next group of players is quite as large as, as maybe the gap between Adley and the next few players in that 2019 draft. So um, you're comparing apples and oranges a little bit, but I think you're, you're pretty much spot on with how you're feeling about things. And, and, and you also get to some of the insecurities that uh, people like me who make mock drafts have to deal with when right. Baltimore is in that spot. <laughs> right. All right, so let's cover a couple of things. Why, to you, is Drew Jones the the top guy in this draft? Yeah. I think he just possesses the best combination of future upside tools and current skills. There are a lot of players who have some combination or some blend of those. He really has all of them. I mean, he's six foot four, 180 pounds. He's going to add more strength. He has power now, and you can project him to have above-average power in the future. He's one of the best pure hitters in the class, so he's probably not overall the best pure hitter. Guys like Tamar, Tamar Johnson, Brooks Lee, Kevin Parada on the college side might be the best pure hitters. Uh, but then you get to the supplemental tools, and, and they stack up with really anyone in the class that you want to compare him to. He's a potential double-plus defender in center field. Uh, his father is one of the best defensive center fielders of all time, and that's very apparent in his game. He brings speed. He's going to play a premium position. So if you look at some of these hitters, especially on the college side, there are a lot of players who are maybe not 
up-the-middle talent. And when you combine the up-the-middle profile of Drew Jones with his hitting ability, with his future um, projection gains that you can you can kind of assume that he's going to make as he fills out physically, I think he just checks all the boxes, and there's there's really no weakness or hole in his game that I, I'm aware of. I spoke to a, a, a scout recently who said, yeah, I think Drew Jones is the best player in the draft, but I think there's a mm-hmm. chance still that Elijah Green has the highest upside of any yep. player in the draft. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think that's spot on, too. I think the, the difference there is you look at Elijah Green and Drew Jones, and just physically, Elijah Green is one of the more unique athletes that we have had come out of the draft in a very long time. You just don't see baseball players who look like him, who have the sort of power that he has with the speed that he has. And he's done a fantastic job of showing that power in-game throughout the summer showcase circuit. Last year, this spring against good competition in Florida, he's hit really well. So I think if you look at, just in terms of overall upside, if all of these players pan out to the best of their tools, his tools are the most explosive. I think the reason you'd have a guy like Elijah below Drew on a board maybe is you have maybe a, a few more questions about where he's going to play defensively, mm-hmm. um, the quality of that hit tool, how much of his offensive profile is going to come with some swing and miss. Is he going to be a lower average guy who's just going to, uh, succeed by getting into enough power. So that's maybe where there's a little bit more risk in his offensive profile. But, yeah, the tools and the pure upside, I, I think it, it's very easy to say that Elijah has the biggest upside overall in the class. Carlos Colazzo, Baseball America, with us here on GCR as we're talking about the MLB draft. Carlos, I'm going to go back to a question that I've asked a few times. The way that the Orioles have built themselves, and with Adley Rutschman already being here now and Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall likely you know this season maybe the beginning of next year at the latest is there something to be said for it it would be maybe somewhat nonsensical for them to go with a high school batter someone who's a few years away or you know again maybe we compare and say hey Bobby Witt got to the major leagues just as quickly as Adley Rutschman did perhaps that that's overblown the idea that it needs to be a college bat in order to make that timeline work Yeah, I think you could probably make both arguments pretty convincingly. I think there's enough evidence on either side for for you to lay out kind of your opinions and back it up. I do think when you're talking about the elite high school athletes in any draft class, those guys tend to move a lot quicker than the average high school player. You mentioned Bobby Witt. There are a number of other high school players, like a Jared Kellenick, who moved pretty quickly as well. Um, you got some guys in the Diamondback system, like a Corbin Carroll, who outside of injury might already be at a major league level. And I think... Drew is a player who I don't anticipate him needing a ton of time. He's a pretty refined player right now. Um, and, again, he is playing one of those premium positions where you don't need to disprove everything with the bat, so there's less pressure there. Um, but, but like you said, the, the Orioles are kind of nearing the end of the rebuild, hopefully. Their pitching has been pretty good this year, better than a lot of people expected. Adley is finally on the big league team, so you would like things to start coming together. And when you are sitting at the top of a draft class that's very strong on a college hitting demographic that the Baltimore Orioles have shown, a tendency to really go after, uh, I think he can make the argument on both sides. I don't know which one is, is the right one. I think they both could be right, just depending on how your board lines up and, and what you feel about your player development, what you do well, what you maybe don't do as well. Um, but I think both can be defensible. For me, I think you just always should probably take the best player available. Yeah. You don't pick one one often. Um, and when you're there, I think you want to try and get the best talent you can. Is there anything unique about this draft that would make it more worthwhile to try to save some money and cut a deal? Or is it basically like every other draft where it's an utter crapshoot as to whether or not you'll get the guy that you would want to get after you do that? Yeah, I think once you, I think the, the one thing that maybe is an advantage if you do want to cut a deal is the top eight or so group of hitters, and they're all hitters on our board, and I imagine most other boards are all going to be that. 
they're all very good. So, so if you do, if you don't feel a lot of separation, maybe you think Drew is just barely the top player, and the money that he's going to be asking for isn't really worth the drop off between whoever your number two player is. Um, there are a lot of really good players to grab here, and the Orioles have shown some success of making those underslot deals up top, and then moving money around to guys like Toby Mayo, mm-hmm. who still gets to get really good reviews um, from our side on the scouting side. So. Uh, I, I think just the fact that you have a number of hitters that you can feel really confident in that can fill holes in your organization still, you can never have enough hitters at all these positions. It's not like they're going to be blocked. I imagine they're not going to be on, on the catchers in this range, but there's still <laughs> enough other hitters who can fit in. But I think it could still make some sense. There's there's nothing really about this draft class specifically that I would say makes that um, more questionable than it would be in a typical year. All right, if it is a college bat, right, if yeah. that's the route they go again, is there a clear separation that Brooks Lee is the top college bat in this draft? I think for me it's Brooks Lee and Kevin Parada, probably neck and neck. Um, with Brooks Lee, you've got a guy who's going to be playing the infield, probably third base or second base, maybe the best pure hitter in the class. But again, I think Kevin Parada would be the other player you point to and argue as potentially the best hitter in the class. Both of these guys came out of Southern California in high school and were very highly regard- regarded at high school hitters and have just continued to mash at the college level. Um, I think with Brooks, you have maybe some questions about the body. He's dealt with some injuries, so that maybe is your question mark with him. With Parada, your question is going to be, is he a catcher? There are some scouts who think he's going to stick behind the position. Some think he's going to have to move. But I think with both these guys, you're getting high average. You're getting some power. Brooks Lee has hit for a ton of doubles, and I imagine he'll continue to have those translate into homers. Then Kevin Parada went on an absolute home run binge this year. And I think he's got a chance to be a really impressive middle-of-the-order type bat as well. So I think those would be the top two. And, and depending on who you go with, probably depends on um, your thoughts on their defensive positioning and maybe uh, if you think there's an edge in overall hit tool. For me, I think Kevin Prada is just a good hitter. Um, but if you, if you like the third base, second base, defensive profile, I could be leaning towards Brooks. So let, let's talk about because as you point out, I don't think the Orioles are going to be in on a catcher. But as you mm-hmm. point out, is Parada a catcher? And if he's not a catcher... Is it really just that he's a, a first baseman DH? Does he have a position if he's not a catcher? Yeah, he was always pretty athletic for a catcher out of high school. He's gotten a little bit bigger. Maybe he could play a corner outfield position. Okay. He, he's always run a little bit better than a an average catcher in college. Um, I do kind of tend to agree with you. Just seems, it would be a little bit odd for the Orioles to go that direction, just given who is in their system right now. And, and if you are taking Kevin Prada and immediately moving him, you do lose some value, and I'd right. rather the team that takes him is probably going to want to stick with the catching out as long as possible because if you can get that bat behind the plate, obviously, like with having a guy like Adley Rutschman, you guys know how valuable a play like that is. So it would be a little bit surprising, but at the same time, if you if you do think he's the best hitter in the draft and he's showing power now, maybe it's as simple as, hey, you like the, the hit and the power, and that's the most important thing, and everything else you'll figure out later. Brooks Lee, of course, is intriguing because he is a kid that is literally named after Brooks Robinson, right? And so the idea of Brooks Lee playing third base in, in Baltimore is... <laughs> You know, there's something kind of romantic uh, about yeah. that. I just want to make it very clear. There's no world in which he could end up being a shortstop at, at, at the major league level. Um, I would never want to say there's no world, but I would say it's highly probable that he moved off the position. There yeah. there was some feedback this year that, that he has looked a little bit better defensively. He is sure-handed. It's not like the glove is, is very questionable. I think it's, it's more of a range question. He just doesn't have that lateral mobility that you would typically see um, with Major League middle infielders. At the same time, how we've seen with shifting, maybe range is less important than ever. And there are teams like the Cardinals who will put a player who 
that you typically don't view as a, a legitimate shortstop and then actually turns out to be better. So I wouldn't want to put a 0% chance, but it's certainly uh, very unlikely that he would stick out the position at the next level, I would imagine. And, and is there any argument at all for Jacob Berry from LSU? Sure. I mean, he, he's a fantastic hitter as well. I think Jacob Berry and Jace Young both have really, really complete offensive profiles. Um, less defensive value than the guys we've been talking about. Jace is definitely going to be a second baseman. Most likely might move to first. Jacob Berry, first base, DH only type. But both of these guys have proven to be very capable hitters, high averages, and really good conference. Fantastic on base percentage with power. So just those those classic kind of refined college hitters who you have a lot of confidence and maybe don't have the highest feelings um, compared to some of these other high school players and and players like a Parada who maybe can play catcher or a Brooksley who maybe can provide value at third base defensively. Um, but if you if you just want to have confidence in a bat, both of these guys make sense at the top of a draft, and I would imagine they're both gone at some point in the top ten picks. And if one of them was an underslot guy higher, that wouldn't surprise me at all. All right, Carlos Colazzo, just two things quickly before I let you go. One, how does Kamar Rocker factor into this draft? <laughs> that is a big question, isn't it? I guess hopefully we'll get a better idea once he's actually pitching mm-hmm. in any ball. But I think even if he does pitch, I mean, I don't know – how much scouts are going to be able to change their opinion on him from last year. Because last year he was, he was still healthy and pitching, um, so it, it seems like it's just going to come down to the medical and come down to what the doctors think. So I think even leading up to the draft, I, I would imagine tomorrow's going to be one of the biggest wild cards in this draft. Hopefully we can get some more confidence and have a little bit of consensus on where he's going to fall, but there's really no telling right now, and I guess just hopefully we can get some more information as he goes out there and throws and kind of hopefully shows that he's still the same guy. All right, and then last thing for you, now that he's here, where are you at as far as expectations are concerned for Adley Rutschman? He had a, he had a multi-hit game last night, so we're ready mm-hmm. to go ahead and build the statue now. Yeah. Um, but where are you with reasonable expectations? And I ask that in the context of, like, <clears throat> we remember there being a Matt Wieters once upon a time in Baltimore. He had a phenomenal oh, yeah. MLB career by any measurement. And yet, you know, he's considered a bust in this town because he was supposed to yeah. be Joe Maurer with power and Jesus and cleats. So what is <laughs> what is reasonable for Adley Rutschman? I ask, reminding you that people in Baltimore genuinely believe he's supposed to be some sort of amalgamation of Mike Piazza's bat and Pudge Rodriguez behind the plates. Yeah, it's tough because this has kind of been the guy everyone has been waiting for for years and years. He's, he's the face of the rebuild, kind of all the hopes are pinned to Adley. So I imagine there's an, an absolute ton of pressure on him. The prospect that he was puts puts a lot of pressure on him to perform. I would just say that view him similar, similar to guys like Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt Jr., who were in a similar final of player entering the year in terms of prospect status. Both of those guys went through their struggles um, player development is certainly not linear and as polished as these guys are, there are going to be some learning curves. So I'd just say as much as you can, be patient, let him go through the rest because uh, on top of just learning, majorly hitting and getting adjusted to that with the bat, he has got all the challenges of, of getting used to the staff, managing that pitching staff. There's significantly more work that Adley has to do than, than another hitter in another position. Um, but I think he's a very polished hitter. I think he can hold his own. Um, and, and I would expect him to have... Um, I don't know that you're you're going to view him as one of the top hitters in baseball immediately. That that would be rare and a surprise, even even regardless of if his prospect status entering the year. But I'd just say be patient, give him a year, and don't don't look at his stats at the end of the season and kind of try to figure out this is this is what his career is going to be because a lot of things will change. Carlos, what can we plug for you? What are you guys have? What do you guys have coming up with Baseball America? Other content you're doing? What all can we get plugs in for? 
Yeah, I'd just say check out the website, um, baseballamerica.com. We are currently working on our draft preview issue of the, of the magazine, um, so we'll have an updated top 500 rankings coming out soon. We should have a mock draft coming out soon. Hopefully next week will be our next mock draft. Um, but, yeah, anything that I'm doing is going to be over at baseballamerica.com and also the prospect team who handles minor leagues in the top 100 minor league prospects. They have been very busy this year as well. A lot of updates to all the teams in baseball. So we've got some Orioles updates already in season, some players who are trending in the right direction, and some international prospects that are doing well in that system. And that's refreshing to see as well. Yeah, so that's, that's I would new. just say check out baseballamerica.com. And at Carlos A. Colazzo on Twitter is how you follow him. Carlos, always appreciate you, man. Thank you for taking some time. We'd love to do it again as we get closer to the draft. Yeah, absolutely, guys. This was fun. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you. Carlos Colazzo, Baseball America, checking in with us here on GCR. Again, BaseballAmerica.com. Make sure you're a subscriber. So much incredible content available as we get ready for the 2022 MLB Draft. If you missed it earlier this week, on Tuesday night, Stan the Fan Charles and Gary Stein caught up with former UMBC and Johns Hopkins lacrosse coach Don Zimmerman to preview the Final Four, which gets underway on Saturday. You can find that right now by going to facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Click on the videos tab. Go to youtube.com slash pressboxonline or Go to PressBoxOnline.com slash video. Don Zimmerman, who's been working with ESPN during the course of the NCAA tournament, previewing the lacrosse Final Four with Stan the Fan Charles and Gary Stein. That available right now. Uh, Quickly from Kevin. Kevin says, Glenn, understand everything you're saying about Lamar Jackson and the holdout, but isn't it quite possible that it's as simple as Lamar's not trying to cause much of a stink? He doesn't want to be a problem or a distraction. He's just making it known quietly that he still wants to get paid. I I, I mean, yeah, maybe. Maybe it could be that. And again, this goes back to the argument that so many people make that my argument is why not just get paid now? Why are, what are you waiting for? You're losing money right now. You're playing for a lesser number this season when you don't have to. If the problem is about the money, which, again, is not at all what's been reported, if the problem is about the money, why not force the issue now instead of wait? And you can say, well, it doesn't really make a big deal if you wait because even if you get hurt, Dak Prescott has proof that you can still get paid big time anyway. It's fine, but you are taking less money this season. We can't change that. You are getting paid less money this year than you would get paid under a new deal. Why? For what purpose? If you're unhappy. The reporting we have would say Lamar Jackson isn't unhappy. These things, you can't make the math work for all of it. You just can't do it. Try as hard as you might. It's totally possible that it's just as simple as Lamar's not going to be a guy who does voluntary OTAs moving forward in his career. That's okay. Lots of guys don't. Brett Hundley will because he's a Ravens quarterback now. Signed this morning. Gives them one more body. Yeah, we're going to take a break before Patrick, yes. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. But you can't, you can't keep coming back to, well, this is proof that Lamar Jackson is unhappy. Well, why would that be? 
If it is, this is a bad way of going about doing it. Force the issue, use your leverage, get a deal, or get traded. If the Ravens don't want to pay you, find out what the Seahawks are willing to pay you. Because they're ready to play Drew effing Locke as their quarterback. Come back in. We will talk about the lacrosse final four. Our buddy Patrick Stevens in the Washington Post, USA Lacrosse Magazine. He's going to join us next. It is a Thursday edition of Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgambling.com. Help.org. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash-fried pork belly with our popular Korean number 2 sauce, and take a bite out of the Crunch Burger topped with home-run sauce, white American cheese, and house-made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball-cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer, the Cracker Jack Sunday with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. The 2022 baseball season is in full swing, and the future is brighter than ever for your Baltimore Orioles. I'm Paul Valley, And I'm Zach Goodman. And together we bring you the bat around every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon with everything you need to know about the Orioles and baseball as a whole. From veterans like Cedric Mullins, Austin Hayes, and Ryan Mountcastle, to young stars like Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, and D.L. Hall. We've got you covered for every game, every pitch, and every debut. You can watch us at youtube.com slash pressboxonline and facebook.com slash pressboxonline. Sports, or you can listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. So join us live on the bat around every Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon right here at Pressbox Sports. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. It's statistically proven that the show sounds better if you're not wearing pants, like me. Right now, you're listening to Glenn Clark Radio. Back in here on GCR, uh, the Orioles have announced some concerts this summer, and I, I am—I have so many things I want to say about one of them. So they announced Flowrider is coming on June 17th. So Flowrider gets to play the same stage as Paul McCartney. Not really; they don't put the stage out. It's—it's it's not, but in the same week, Paul McCartney and Flowrider. Then there's the Struts on September 10th. And then on August 6th, they announced an I Love the 90s show after the game featuring Drew Hill and Smash Mouth. 
And that is the single most confusing combination of things I've ever said in my life because Drew Hill is amazing and Smash Mouth is a crime against humanity. So I would go because that, Drew Hill is a top five most wonderful thing about Baltimore. Drew Hill is brilliant. Smash Mouth is a war crime. Smash Mouth is what you play in order to try to get the terrorists to, to stop holding the hostages. What is that? Orioles hosting some concerts this summer at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. The uh, the city of Hartford, right? They believe it's actually technically East Hartford, is hosting the lacrosse Final Four, which gets underway on Saturday. Joining us now to preview it, he is a friend at Discourse, D1S Course on Twitter. Mr. Patrick Stevens back with us on GCR. What's going on, sir? How are you? I am well, and hey now, Glenn, you're an all-star. Get your Stop, game Oh, my go God, play. why are you doing this to me? Do you remember that I lost a bet that required me to go to a Smash Mouth concert once? I, I do not I do not recall. Pat, Patrick, I still story. have PTSD from the experience. Oh, wow. It was heinous, heinous what it is that I witnessed. That well, they, they, they had that song, and did they have another song? Oh, they actually apparently had a bunch of songs. because they. Well, they, I mean, like, people know what well, No, 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 they, like, they, they did a bit. Well, they had the Walking on the Sun uh, which That's was popular. Right. That was the that was the other. And then apparently they did a bit where they just covered a bunch of songs for a few years. They became like a karaoke band, and oh, they wow. got into um, like movies doing versions of like um, uh, "I'm a Believer" by the Monkees, and that okay. that somehow managed to carry them for a few years. But it hey, was we, we all got we all got to learn a learn a living. I, I, I no, trust me, I have done. Well, I don't think I've done worse things for money, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about it, Patrick. Uh, the Virginia game, you know, for a minute in the first quarter, Maryland got off to a bit of a sluggish start, and you thought, okay, this this might be a test. No, it, it proved to just be another one of Maryland's victims this season. You pointed out a statistic after that game that was very interesting to me, which is that they are once again in the second semifinal, and the second semifinal has not been kind to teams in trying to win a national championship game on Monday. No, it, it it hasn't, and you know I think I think there's probably a little bit of over grievance on Maryland's part there. Maryland has been in the second semifinal all nine times that they have been uh, there under John Tillman now, and in the last ten years, the or the last ten tournaments, I, I keep forgetting there wasn't one in 2020, but the last ten tournaments, the team that won the second semifinal went one and nine in the title game, Maryland in 2017 being the exception. Uh, and, and this is done not, not because there's some secret conspiracy or somebody right. has it out for Maryland. It, it's because... They're it's because a brand. TV, TV right. would prefer to have the more appealing game. And we can sit here and depend, define what that is in various different ways. But the idea is, is who's going who's gonna to draw a bigger audience? Uh, and the large state school uh, in a power conference uh, is probably going to draw the biggest audience, especially in a sport that it's typically good at. So, you know, in a fair world, if we're talking fairness, the fair thing would be the number one seed would play in the early game, regardless. You get, to get, you the, get or the, the highest remaining seed right. uh, to get them the additional two and a half hours rest. And so in nine of those, of those nine semifinals, I think Maryland is in the, was the higher seed now five of those times and the lower seed, four of them. So last year, for example, they were the three seed, the one seed advance. They played it in, in like the most equitable way possible. They were in the right game last year. This year, you know, you, you could probably argue on the one hand, yes, the one seed probably warrants a little extra rest, 
uh, I don't know if it matters what this one seed does. Uh, and, and so, yes, they'll play in the second game, uh, but my guess is is that they'll be just fine both on Sunday or on Saturday and Sunday too, uh, and, and then Monday afternoon. I, I have a feeling that even with the whole prep advantage that we've talked about in the past, that this is probably not a team that's going to get to Monday and, and, and lose it. All right, let's talk about the teams that they could face. And we begin, obviously, with Princeton, who they will face. What is the biggest threat for them about Princeton? Well, the interesting thing about Princeton is, is is that they did not play well at the end of the regular season. They missed the Ivy League tournament. Their defense was a complete mess. And they basically sort of went into retooling season when they missed the Ivy tournament. And it turned out that that was probably the best thing that could happen to them. You know, they've gone a little bit deeper. They've played much better on D the last two weeks. Gave up five to Boston University. Gave up ten to Yale. Uh, and so, you know, I think Princeton is a team that... It kind of, in some ways, on the offensive end, they kind of mirror Maryland in the sense that it's it's a cast of a dozen or so guys that can beat you. It's not just one guy you're going to shut down. Now that's not to say uh, that guys like Alex Slusher and Chris Brown aren't really good, right? Uh, but you know, and they've got some key midfielders like Sam English, who scored four times the first time around against Maryland. But you know, I, I think ultimately uh, this is a question of can. Princeton, like anybody, can anybody slow down Maryland's offense? And they actually, you know, they gave up 15 goals the first time around, uh, and the goalie Eric Peters made, uh, made I believe, 19 saves. Uh, and it was probably not Logan McNaney's best day. He had eight saves that day. Maryland outshot them 50-23, to 23, and it was a five-goal game. Hmm. So when I say that Princeton, you know, the box score suggests Princeton probably should have lost by more than five. I'm not exaggerating there. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, like for for anybody in this in this final four, uh, you know your best strategy would be to go back in time and get yourself uh, a, a scenario where you have a better faceoff guy than you have because Luke Weirman is vastly better over the course of the season yeah. than any of the primary guys for any of the three teams that are here. And secondly, figure out a way to reinstate uh, a role that doesn't have a shot clock. Okay, uh, because right. the best way to beat Maryland is to win faceoffs and then hold the ball for as long as possible which in some ways is what Ohio State tried to do, you know, sort of four corners with a shot clock, if you will, wait until there's 20 seconds left on the shot clock and then initiate, which is what they did pretty effectively for two and a half to three quarters before Maryland just ran them off the field in the final quarter. On Monday, it would be Cornell or Rutgers if Maryland beats Princeton. Um, I know that you're supposed to say it's really hard to beat a team three times in the same season, but... Uh, does anything about Maryland's two meetings with Rutgers actually make it seem like that would actually be true? Not really. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Rutgers is a great story, uh, and I think they've had a fabulous season. You look at what they've done, they're 15-0 and against the teams that, that are not playing this weekend. They have handled their business. I thought that you know they, they had a nice display of depth, their rope unit's really good, uh, all that. But they were pounded the first time around. The game was basically over five minutes in. The second time around, they hung around a little bit longer, but Maryland controlled the final, I don't know, 20 minutes or so and turned what at the time I think was like a 10-5 to type of game into 17-7. So you know, Rutgers was at least sort of within shouting distance. But they've done it with the week-long buildup. They've done it with the 48-hour tournament. Uh, and so I, I don't like Rutgers' chances of being able to, to pull that off. And, and frankly, with Cornell, and, and this is the case for all of the Ivy teams that that haven't been able to build up as much depth because they had guys that actually graduated 
and, and, and were grad transfers elsewhere. Teams that just don't quite have the same number, same amount of manpower. Like I said earlier, I respect the fact that Princeton's kind of manufactured a little bit of that here over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but, but I don't know if Cornell really would be able to keep pace either. I mean, this is, you know, as Lars Tiffany from Virginia said after the game on, on Saturday or Sunday, you know, it, it's starting to feel like you can credibly have that argument of where does Maryland belong among some of these great teams mm-hmm. like 90 Syracuse and 06 Virginia. And, the, and you know, I, I resisted that for quite a while just because it's mid-March, it's early April, whatever it is, there's still a lot left. But at this stage, you're down to the final weekend, and and they stack up pretty favorably. And if they could win, uh, if they could win uh, two games this weekend, uh, I, I feel like that they would belong in that conversation. Certainly among the best teams uh, of the modern tournament era. Obviously, we will save that for the conversation for Tuesday. If that's the way it plays out over the weekend, they still got to win two games because if they don't, that conversation will die quite quickly. That's the way that it goes. Uh, anything else that's particularly interesting? You know, we're gonna have Jonathan Donville on later in the show, and I know there is that like potential for kind of a a fun storyline going into Monday with him. Yeah, and he he played at Cornell for a few years and, and graduated, and it's funny like he's pursuing a master's in journalism at Maryland, yeah. which I believe is which I believe is maybe the first time that a coach has been happy about student <laughs> journalism in any way whatsoever. So. Uh, you know that that that's that's not a great joke, but it's a joke nonetheless. No, I I, I know. But he is, but, he, is, but he has he has made a big difference for them as a, as a guy that uh, you know you can tell that the Canadian he's a Canadian and you got the you got the the the, the passing ability the the ability to, to to rope a pass thirty yards on a line to somebody mm-hmm. has really been valuable for them. And you know I feel like both he and Keegan Khan have, have been really significant additions. Uh, I still think Luke Weirman's probably the MVP of this team, uh, just because of how much he's tilted the field in their favor. Uh, but the addition of Don, Donville and Khan uh, has really given the offense a boost uh, when you were sitting there wondering, well, what's going to happen without Jared Bernhardt? Well, it turns out they were just fine in that. Right, right. In a weird way, maybe even better. I don't know. I mean, not not actually, but... Boy. I don't think I don't think that's actually right. the case. Right. Uh, the, the thing the thing that's different. Obviously, we talked about possession a lot there with with Weirman, uh, but without Bernhardt, you don't know who's going to be the guy that's going to to really hammer you on a given day. Like last year, you knew Bernhardt was going to go out and he was going to get his five goals and two assists, and you just hoped that you could contain everybody else. This year, it's it's six guys that at any given time can hurt you. You think about this. I mean, like, you know, the, the Maltz kid was starting last year and scored 30, 35 goals or whatever it was. And now he basically plays in garbage time and on extra man. I mean, that's the abundance of riches. It's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable, man. That is incredible. I mean, Bubba Fairman's a defender, you know, like. Bubba Fairman's a defender. <laughs> like, yeah. he's, you know, he's like a top 20 guy all time in Maryland. <laughs> right. And, he's, and, he's, and he's, he's playing defensive midfield. Um, I guess the only other thing that I wanted to touch on, we now know for sure that Jameer Young, not that I ever thought there was much of any doubt, but we now know for sure that Jameer Young will be part of the Maryland basketball roster next year. We've already kind of covered him, but we've just uh, ended any question about whether or not he stays in the NBA draft. Well, now you know who's probably going to leave them in scoring next year. I think think is what you would kind of walk away from there. I I don't know if he's going to average 20 a game or flirt with that like he did in Charlotte. Uh, but but I think it's safe to say that he's going to be the guy that, that has the ball in his hands in, in crucial moments for this team, barring another additional 
a, a, you know, additional player or two that coming on board that's really, really high end. My guess is, is that Young is going to be the guy that, that, that really has the chance to, to drive things for Maryland next season. All right, let's play our game. Can Patrick Stevens name the MLB teams this particular player has played for? I've got two pitchers today, and I acknowledge the first one trickier than the second. The first one, I was surprised to find just an all-star once uh, in another season, led the league in uh, ERA. Also led the league once in wild pitches. He had that going for him. Finished in the top three of Cy Young voting once. He is, four teams, Kevin Apier. Kevin Apier. Huh. Well, Kevin Apier was most famously a Kansas City Royal. Most certainly, for over a decade. And he was definitely an angel, right? I did not remember that one. Wow, well done. Okay. I can't remember whether we would call that LAA or ANA or Cal. Uh, uh, oh, oh, 03. So he's probably the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim at I, that I, point. Well, I think they might have still been the Anaheim Angels Okay. There, right? Well, either way, he was with the Angels. Yeah. He was definitely with Oakland. He was most certainly with Oakland. I did and remember I that one. I do believe he was a match. Jesus Christ, four for four on Kevin Apier. I, I don't I don't even do in the next one. Uh, four teams, all-star twice, top ten of Cy Young voting twice for Al Leiter. Al Leiter's four teams were the Yankees. Yeah. The uh, He was a Blue Jay. Most certainly. He was a Florida Marlin yep. and a New York Mets. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Just as easy as that. Hartford all weekend. Um, are you up there yet? No, no, I'm driving up tomorrow. That should be a real blast going up oof, on Memorial Day oof, weekend. Oof. Um, it wasn't fun last year, but that was with less traffic because, you know, oh, there's yeah, probably still pandemic, some pandemic yeah. issues. So the, the real adventure for the weekend is going to be figuring out, I haven't quite settled on it, what time do I get out of here Eesh. and at what time do I bail off a of 95 and find an alternate workaround? Yikes. Uh, so I'll take any advice on Twitter yeah. and Discord if you have a preferred route. <laughs> Uh, to get up there, I'm I'm kind of leaning right now towards uh, 95 to the Palisades Parkway to the Tappan Zee Bridge, and then up 684 through Waterbury, and then 84 across the state, just to avoid the yeah. headaches of headaches of the GW Bridge, the Bronx, yeah. Southern Connecticut. Wasn't a lot of fun last year. Uh, I I wish you well. I'm so sorry that that's the the way it's working out. But wish yeah, you well. Unfortunately, on the it's in Philadelphia next year. That's so. a great point. Great point. At Discourse D1 Escorts on Twitter, of course, USA Lacrosse Magazine as well. Patrick Stevens, appreciate you, my friend. We'll uh, wrap up the season on Tuesday. All right. Awesome, Glenn. You take care. Thanks, buddy. You too. Patrick Stevens joining us here on GCR. Normally do that on Tuesdays. Just his schedule this week. We decided that uh, Thursday would make more sense. Uh, make sure you still hit drop. You got to remember, be quick on the trigger. Got to be quick on the trigger. Got to be uh, moving. We're still we're still working out the kinks with Griffin. We're still you know lots more. We'll get there, pal. I promise we'll get there. Um, but you still got to do even with all of our regular guests. You still got to do all that stuff that we normally do at the end of a, a segment. All right, winding down for hour number one of today's program. It's also been brought to you by your local Toyota dealer. Buyatoyota.com. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Um, he's, is he calling us? All right, so then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hold on for a minute here as Kyle Moore, manager of the Bay Sox, scheduled to check in with us. Coming up, as I mentioned a little bit later on in the 11 a.m. hour, Jonathan Donville, 
uh, offensive midfielder at the University of Maryland. He's been a very nice uh, piece they've added this season from Cornell. And as Patrick pointed out, he's also a journalism major. He's a podcaster. He's a he's a fascinating kind of dude. We're going to chat with uh, Jonathan Donville about all of those things here in a little bit. I do, oh man, Griffin, have you been around for a finish this before? A finish this? Yes. I guess not. No. <sighs> Uh. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. I got I got one that is just delightful. I mean, that is just a MTV jam of the week. But I don't know what to do with it. I don't know whether or not because you've never played before and it's so good. All right, I'm going to I'm going to debate that. I'm going to I'm going to sit on it for a minute. I'm going to consider whether or not we end up doing that. Uh, from Jeff. Jeff gets in and says, Glenn, as far as your thoughts on Grayson Rodriguez are concerned. So I got a thing in my, I don't know what's going on here. I, I hope it's just lingering allergy stuff. I hope that's it and it's going to be over soon. But I feel like I have had, I've had more mucus in my life for the last four months. I mean, four months of mucus at this point, which by the way was the name of my band in high school. Um, was it really? It's definitely not the name of mine. Thank you. Thank you, Griffin. Dynamite. Um, I feel like it's been four months, and I haven't been able to clear it out. And I've, it just haven't sounded right on any particular day. It always feels like I need to clear my throat, which is just the grossest thing to do when it comes to this business. It's the absolute grossest thing to do, but it just feels that way constantly. It feels like I need to remove mucus from my throat. So now you guys have that image, and that's... It's pleasant. You got that going for you, which is nice. All right, back to Kevin. Kevin says, Glenn, as far as your thoughts on Grayson Rodriguez are concerned, I am not going to have any problem whatsoever if they call him up on the road. I feel as though at some point you have to rip the Band-Aid off and you just have to get on with it. I know your argument about the innings thing is real, but the innings can come whether they're coming at the AAA level or at the major league level. Yes, I'd like to be there for him to make his major league debut, but it's not going to break my heart. And as you pointed out, they kind of proved they're not all that concerned about getting big crowds based on the way that they handled Adley Rutschman. So why not just go ahead and use him when you need a pitcher, see how he handles it. If he doesn't handle it well, you can always send him back down. I know you've said before that you don't think someone should be so sure. You know, by the way, that, that thought is right. I don't believe in the idea of not bringing a guy up out of fear of what it might do to him. If someone is so shook by that, they just might not be the guy you want them to be. If getting rocked in your first major league start shakes you to your core, then you just might not be the guy. You might still be a guy, but you might not be the guy that everybody wants you to be. I think, for the most part, I wouldn't be as fearful about it shaking Grayson Rodriguez to his core. I don't know that it's the ideal way to start his career. Again, the Red Sox, their bats are suddenly red hot on the road at Fenway Park. I don't know that that's an ideal way for anyone to start their career. But no, I don't subscribe to the theory of you have to treat all these people with kids' gloves. I just don't think it makes the most sense. I think there's a better way to go about doing it. And I do think you should do better than you did the last time. 
And I would feel, I keep going back to this, I would always feel differently if you were in the throes of a playoff race. If you were competing for something and you needed players or you believe someone was ready and could help you out in getting you over the hump, then I don't think about all these other things. Those are now my priorities. But since you're not that team, I, I am disappointed by how they handled the Adley Rutschman thing. If Grayson, if this team was in the middle of a playoff race and the day the Ravens were playing the Jets, they wanted to call Grayson Rodriguez up to make his first start, I wouldn't lose my mind about the fact that they did it on the same day as the Ravens game because they were doing it, needing a pitcher to try to help them win. I'll always prioritize winning over what's best for business. But when it's not about winning... Doing a solid for your fan base is the least you could do. And they get about a half a point. It could have been worse. They could have done it on the road with Adley Rutschman. They did do it at home. There were people that were able to make it out. But it's a problem. Get a full point with Grayson Rodriguez. Get a full check for that one. There's just no need for it to be on the road this weekend in Boston. All right, we're going to try to figure out what's going on with uh, uh, the, the, the Bay Sox. We'd love to chat with them. If not, maybe we'll move some things around, try to get John Donville in a little bit earlier. we got plenty to do as we move into hour number two. Today's show also brought to you. Oh, you know what? I don't need to do that. Uh, you know what? Sure. Today's show is also brought to you. Brought, that's all, folks. Today's show is also brought to you by... The FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. 61 self-service kiosks for you to get your bets in all of the big events this weekend, including the Champions League final. Gervonta Davis, Orlando Romero, as well as the Indianapolis 500. The place to be is the FanDuel Sportsbook. Email events at sportssocialmd.com in order to reserve your spot, reserve your table, Reserve your reclining chair, whatever it is that you're looking for, events at sportssocialmd.com. It's Glenn Clark Radio. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for baseball and for catching comes from and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress in year two, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. Press Box is available for free at over 500 areas locations including 60 royal farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the orioles ravens and terps at pressboxonline.com that first sip that first bite Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
answering Baltimore's calls for help, running in when others run away, working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore Police. But the department needs more good people, people like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore Police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 11.40. FanDuel Sportsbook Assistant GM Leon Twyman and VEASAN's Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 11.40, tune in for Weekend at Bookies as Andrew Stecka and Alloy Sports Brad Cronthal help make you some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and Weekend at Bookies every other Thursday. Thursday, brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio. Watch at YouTube.com slash PressBoxOnline. Baseball is back, and so is the spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. Start with the opener, flash fried pork belly with our popular Korean number two sauce, and take a bite out of the crunch burger topped with home run sauce, white American cheese, and house made chips. It also features irresistible options like a baseball cut sirloin with blue cheese, grilled shrimp with garlic butter, and a strawberry salmon salad. And then there's the closer, the Cracker Jack Sundae with a waffle, ice cream, and Cracker Jack. This menu will be going, going, gone at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill. GloryDaysGrill.com to find out more. Great food, good sports. Don't forget that full episodes of the show are available for free on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. But warning, you get what you pay for. You're listening to Glenn Clark Radio. All right, back in here on GCR as we continue in hour number two of the program. <clears throat> Man, I am. I don't like that. How that sounds whatsoever. Ugh, gross. Yeah, the blowout in basketball last night. I say blowout. It was actually. It wasn't until the fourth quarter, or I guess late in the third quarter. It was just brutal. It was a horrible game. Nobody wanted to make a shot. The Heat, with just one of the all-time turd performances in NBA playoff history, giving you nothing at home in a pivotal Game Five of the Eastern Conference Finals. That series is so weird. Like, it's made no sense. I definitely thought Boston was the better team almost by far coming into it. That series is so weird and kind of so all over the place that I'm still not ready to say it's over yet because Boston is capable of just... I mean, they were dropping a turd last night, too. Until all of a sudden, they realized, like, hey, if we could just do a little bit, we'd win because Miami's doing nothing. Zero. Zip, zilch. Um, yeah, strange, strange series. I mean, yeah, you can't rule the heat out just because I feel like you know Jimmy Butler can take over. Yeah, I mean he, can he have, wants to, but it's just weird that like how like at, you're at home and, and they didn't have just, and they didn't have Hero last night again, right? Yeah, they didn't yeah. have Hero. Um, I, look, man, I I don't know. It's just, everything about it's been weird. It's been a super weird series. Now you can say the Heat won Game One while the Celtics were depleted, and so since the Celtics have had their players back. They've won three or four games. They've kind of proven themselves to be the better of the two teams. But for the first, for the better part of three quarters last night, there was nothing about the Celtics that looked like a team that was ready to do anything. They looked like a team that was ready to limp their way back to Boston, having dropped the 81 to 80 game five on the road and regret it. So I, I don't know. 
the Warriors get another shot to close out the Mavericks tonight at home. And as a couple people have pointed out, there's no reason to be overly concerned about the fact that the Warriors got their butts kicked in Game 4, especially knowing they were going back home. But suddenly, if they lose this one, things get really interesting. Because now they got to go back to Dallas. And even if they get to come back for Game 7, the idea that you'd be coming back as a team that's lost three straight in a series and is now staring down a history and the likelihood of being the first team to ever, ever blow a 3-0 series lead, it starts getting dicey. It starts messing with you. It starts sitting in your head a little bit. So I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. I think tonight becomes a bit more important then maybe on paper it would seem like it would be for a team that's up 3-1 in a series. I think this is one of the most critical games that a team up 3-1 in a series has ever faced because it's very unique circumstances if, for some reason, Golden State were to lose this game. It's a very unique circumstance where you got to go back to Dallas and then potentially play a Game 7 going up against the history of doing a thing that no one's ever done before in the entire history of basketball. We know it's happened in hockey, and we know it's happened in baseball. But in NBA history, no team has ever blown a 3-0 series lead. So, kind of a lot to think about. Teams have blown 3-1 series lead. Of course, we remember that Golden State blew a 3-1 series lead in the NBA Finals a few years back. But just, uh, just a bit more dicey than maybe you would otherwise think. And then last night, if you didn't catch the Colorado-St. Louis game, it was a thriller, man. I mean, it was awesome. Colorado races out to a 3-0 lead. They look unbeatable. All of a sudden, the Blues, you know, not that far removed from when they won the Stanley Cup back in 2019. Still mostly the same group of guys. Starts chipping, they start chipping away. They get back. They tie it up. Pretty dramatic. And then right after they tie it up, Nathan McKinnon finishes off a hat trick with one of the most incredible goals I've ever seen in the history of hockey going coast to coast, flipping it up over the... I mean, it was amazing. And it looks like it's over. St. Louis has to immediately pull their goalie. It's under a minute left. They jam in a rebound to tie it up. They win in overtime. Thrilling game last night. Even if you're a casual hockey fan, which I admit I am. I'm quite casual. The rare instance in my life where the Arizona Coyotes have been relevant, and it has been rare... I'm a big fan, but it's so rare that on the whole, I'm a casual hockey fan. But even as a casual hockey fan, did I ever enjoy that last night? That was a hell of a game. Series continues, goes to game six, and they got to go to go St. Louis now. And that's been an entertaining series, despite the fact that Colorado, like on paper, they're a wagon. Man, they are just so loaded, but they have... Um, Boy, they have, have they ever made that interesting. All right, it's time for us to make our weekly trip to Bowie to chat with the Bowie Bay Sox. And this week, we're going to have our first conversation with Bowie Bay Sox manager Kyle Moore, who joins us now here on GCR. Kyle, it's uh, Glenn and Griffin here in Baltimore. It's great to catch up with you. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us this morning. Hi, Griffin. How are you guys doing today? Everything is good. How about yourself? Everything good in your world? Yeah, doing well. Doing right. well. Just uh. 
waking up, getting ready to get another day started here in Bowie. All right. Well, let's talk a little about your club, right? Let's talk about this season. I guess maybe let's 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 go a step back, right? Um, you getting this role as a double A manager, right? What has this opportunity meant to you? Yeah, well, I mean, it's meant the world to me. I, it's uh, sort of a goal or a, or, or a dream of mine for a little while now, ever since I started managing in this organization, mm-hmm. uh, just to, to manage at the highest level that I could. And then to be able to have the trust of the organization to let me lead this group has really, uh, really meant the world to me um, and my family as well. So uh, we, we're really familiar with Maryland. I mean, we've been coming up here for a while now, and it's something that uh, – Something that I really cherish the opportunity to be a you know to be the double A manager for such a history the ball club. How, how do you feel about like the role that you've had within the development and the way you know you know how things have changed within this organization? Um, do you feel as though you've been able to help the organization usher in an era of change and development over the last few years as you've risen up from you know Aberdeen and Delmarva now to Bowie? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think so. I hope so. I mean, uh, I guess the fact that they kept me around probably says a little something, but uh, I do think that I, I have been helpful in that uh, based on the fact of my relationship with the players, uh, which I had before, you know, the new regime got here. And I, I feel like um, with all the new stuff that we brought, that they brought, um, I think that my relationship with the players and the ability that I have to communicate with those players because of that relationship has, has really helped exactly what you just said, just facilitate um, a, a new, you know, a new thing that we got going here all, all throughout our minor league. So, you know, I take pride in that. And um, like I, like I always say, I mean, there's no, there's no amount of information that is any good unless you have a relationship with a player and you can actually communicate that to them. So, Kids don't care how much they know until they know how much you care. And uh, it's an old John Wooden quote, but hmm. I feel like that's what I brought to this organization when the new regime came um, and started really ramping some stuff up. So, you um, Can you give us an idea, as someone who had been in the system as a player, who had been in as a coach, and now you know the roles that you've had leading up to this point, can you give us an idea of what has changed the most as far as the actual developmental philosophy of the Baltimore Orioles organization? The number one thing that's changed the most is the use of technology and the way that we coach with technology, um, which in the past, in all of baseball, had been pretty non-existent. But I think that now we're using instruments such as a portable track man and Azure um, uh, you know, Edgertronic cameras and a whole host of other things. Um, if you could dream it up, we're using it. And not not just using it, but we're trying to figure out how, how that's going to make the player better and how, how we can deliver a message that really makes our process foolproof so that we're not really shooting in the dark, we're not really taking too many educated guesses. It's more of a, this is what needs to happen, and this is these are the instruments that are telling us why. So, you know, in the past we had all that stuff, but we mm-hmm. didn't really use it like we do now. You wouldn't see a portable track man in the bullpen. You wouldn't see an Edgertronic camera anywhere. Um, so I think those are the main the main things. Uh, that uh, that along with the fact that we we developed an entire analytical department that we didn't have before, and I think I think that's completely different because we had this website um, website site slash database, whatever you want to call it, that 
has about every piece of information in the game available to all staff members. Wow. I and mean, there's certainly, certainly like tiers of that. Certain people are qualified to look at certain things, but we didn't have that before. You know, we had to use like four different websites, MILB.com and True Media, and you had to kind of search all around for all these different things. And now um, we have this thing called Omar that is just right at the tip of our fingertips and really accelerates the coaches. Um, ability to gain information and, and put their finger on exactly what they're looking for in a really short period of time, like 30 seconds or something, then you could just look up whatever you want. It seems helpful. Skip it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it takes a lot of time and energy <laughs> right. and, uh, effort. It makes my job a hell of a lot easier. That's, that's awesome. Sure. Between, between, but those are the two things, you know, the use of technology in the, co- in the coaching realm and then also that, you know, the analytical department with their website they've created. Paysox manager Kyle Moore is with us here on GCR. Kyle, is there is there one player that jumps out at you and says, you know, if somebody asked me about, you know, what we've been able to do now from a developmental standpoint, th- this player jumps out at me as a guy that, that we think we've seen the impact of how development has changed within the Orioles organization. Yeah, there's a few. Um, I, I would say – Right off the top of my head, Nick Bestie, who made his major league yeah. debut not that, not that long ago, yeah. big leagues and pitched great versus Tampa. Uh, so Vesti would have traditionally been a guy who you could have wrote him off for a million different reasons, but because of the technology that we have and the way we coached him, uh, he was able to develop some elite spins and make the ball do certain things that we felt like were going to be really successful in the big leagues. And I think, like back in the old days, fifteen years ago, ten years ago. He he may not have even thought about getting a shot. He may not even have made it past double A or two double A because you know we just did things differently. And when you when you go just look at the eye test, no, he doesn't throw ninety six miles an hour and he doesn't have all the traditional stuff. But yet here's a guy who has a track record of great minor league numbers, and I think some a lot of that is attributed to uh, the new stuff that the pitching department brought over wow. the way they coached him, and also to Nick's credit. I mean, Vesey did a hell of a job sticking it in there and and uh really developing himself so that that's the that's the first example that pops off the top of my head that's a good one that's a good one player like that and boy we're excited about him man plus he's he's just a he's fired up he's excited he's an exciting player to watch right like he is into it man um he's the best i managed him in 2019 and it was a pleasure and i mean i just he's a manager's dream and you get a lefty like that with that type of makeup it's unbelievable that's cool. All right, let's. Uh, I know you didn't get a lot of time with him this year, but the big story this week in, in Birdland is Adley Rushman getting the majors. You've you've been around him in different uh, situations over the years. What's the biggest thing that you've learned, Kyle, about Adley, and and what what he brings to the table? Not just about his skills, but beyond that, what he brings to the table as a baseball player. Um, well. I think everyone's pretty well aware, like what what he brings as far as like his physical abilities and what he can do defensively. His 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 main attribute is the fact that he has an opportunity to be one of the best catchers defensively in the big leagues, and I think that's so rare to see a guy uh, who who came right out of college and then played in the minor leagues for a little bit, and then just to be able to really control the game defensively is is not not very common, and so everybody. I like to hype him up for the switch hitter and all the things that he can do physically because he is tremendously gifted. But uh, defensively, uh, all the things that you, you need a catcher to do, he he's the best at all. Of them. So that that's easy. That's an easy like you know, that's an easy yes for any lineup in baseball. I think the one thing about Adley that sticks out to me is like um, we were we were in big league spring training this year and the team went on the road 
and I was asked to stay back and work with a few players. And we had like a little small, small group of coaches that were going to work with a small group of players. Adley was one of them. So we go through this workout and I'm taking him through all this catching stuff that, that Tim Cousins had kind of prescribed for us. And it was a great workout. At the end of the day, everything was awesome. We, we went, we went in the, uh, cafeteria to sit down and eat lunch and, as as we were finishing up lunch, I said, "Hey, Ali, what you got for today? What you got to go do?" And he goes, "Well, I got to go do some strength training, and then I got to do do media, and then I got to go back to the training room, and then I got to go hear hear that." He's like laying out a schedule for me, as if you would have thought he was he was like Alex Rodriguez or something. And I'm thinking, like, wow. goodness, this wow. this is what his life is like, and the way he handles that is what makes him who he is. It's like ultra ultra pro, um, big time professional athlete and you don't really see that if you don't spend a little time with them and have lunch with them because you just see you just see him bouncing all around you may not see him here you may not see him there but um his makeup is what separates him aside from the fact that he is extremely talented um he has incredible makeup so you're saying we're not likely to walk in and catch him like eating pizza and playing Mario Kart or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're, very, you're very unlikely. He's going to have a schedule to the T. That's wild. You know where he's going to be at every second of the day, and there's a small chance you're ever going to catch him uh, doing anything that doesn't pertain to being the best baseball player he can be. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Kyle Moore is with us, Bowie Bay Sox manager. It's a huge weekend for the Bay Sox, by the way. Tomorrow night – Top Gun night at the ballpark, and I, by the way, might be changing my plans right now because I forgot, I missed it last year, the Austin Gloveman Hayes bobblehead, which I need to get a hand, my hands on, so I might be making the trip. And then on Sunday, it's Catter Day, where you can bring your cat to the ballpark for the first time ever. We've been able to bring dogs for years. First time ever, you can bring your cat to the ballpark on Sunday for Catter Day, and they've got a special T-shirt giveaway celebrating your love of cats on Sunday. Get to BaySox.com in order to get your tickets. Kyle, are you a, a, a cat guy at all, or are you a, a dog man? No, I don't I don't think I would admit that on air if I wasn't a cat guy. But, uh, uh, we, well, there's no shame. I'm there's a, no, I'm, I'm a dog not, guy. I, we yeah. have a black lab, not a, not a cat. What's, 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 your, what's your dog? I, I asked this. It's an important question now because I learned earlier in the year that Grayson's dog was named Ace, and it's my favorite thing ever. Um, and he, of course, claims that it's because of Ace Ventura, but my God, man, Grayson Rodriguez's dog is named Ace. That's just, it's so perfect. What's your dog's name, Kyle? It is perfect. Our dog's name is Malu, M-A-L-U. She was a rescue black lab from a shelter in Sarasota, Florida, and my wife and I have had her for a while. She's awesome. about a nine-year-old, nine-year-old lab. She's slowing down a little bit, but she's with us oh, um, all awesome. the time. That and is then, awesome. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a dog guy, but we have a coach, Billy Facto, that's a cat guy. The first time I ever called Billy to introduce myself to him when I found out he's going to be on our staff this year, I heard something in the background. I said, what was that? What is that in the background? You got, you got a kid back there? He goes, oh, no, that's my cat. And I said, oh, well, that tells me all he didn't know about you, but he's a, he's a great dude, and I love him. He'll be pumped when he hears we got cat day at the park. Oh, man, he might be bringing his own. He might be bringing his cat with him on Sunday. That'll be cool. Uh, hopefully none of them jump on the field and run around like I've seen before. Uh, on, on dog night? Black cats running around. On oh, the field. oh, you mean with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have seen some instances of that. You don't need to mess with that juju at all. That might, maybe that should be a rule. No. If you've got a black cat, you're not allowed to bring it to the ballpark on Sunday. Yeah. Well, right. I, I mean, the way it's been going, maybe we ought to let one on the field. Maybe, yeah, me, mess, yeah, right? Mess with things a little bit. All right. I, yeah. th- let's talk about some of your guys. 
Tell me why it is that we shouldn't be convinced right now that Gunnar Henderson is definitely Cal Ripken and is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. <laughs> Those are enormous expectations that I would hate for anyone to have to live up to. Uh, but there, there, there is a lot to love there. And um, for a 20-year-old to be doing what he's doing in Double A, you got to think, man, this dude's got a chance to be a big-time player. I mean, a big, big-time player. So. I'm sure I'm sure everyone in Baltimore is excited about him as I am. And uh Gunner from a little small town in Alabama or outside Selma, as I as am I, not too far from there. So obviously I, I um I love him because we came from the same cool. we come from the same place and we have a lot in common. But other than that, just just really impressive. I mean the physicality of this kid says ultra successful big leaguer. That's kinda what he you know, what he looks like when you just come watch him play catch you're like oh oh yeah there's there's gunner like he kind of sticks out um so i mean you know i'm always hesitant to put expectations on someone but i, I certainly think that gunner is on a trajectory to be really really good and help help baltimore win games in baltimore pretty soon i know coming into the year you guys had kind of been been moving guys around and having guys play different positions have have you seen anything? I, I think there's this eternal question, right, about about the shortstop position. I know Jordan struggled a little bit at the plate, but have you have you seen anything at all that would say I think I'm starting to get a feel for who the guy is that's that's definitely going to be a shortstop moving forward? Yeah, I mean, you know, Wesley struggled a little bit. Wesley was really hot at the beginning, and he's been really swinging really well of late. But that's such a it's such an impossible really thing to do because. Because of the way we're playing them, you know, they get two or three here and two or three there, and right. so I feel like uh, I feel like it would only be fair for us to make some like make some sort of decision like that at the end of the year when they've played, you know, whatever it is, fifty games there or however many they're going to get there. Because um, you see other you know other guys who play there every single day, and, and I feel like it's much easier of a of a question to answer if I could see somebody play there five or six times a week. Um, sure, sure. But all of them possess the tools. All of them possess um, the physical things that you need to play there. Um, and then also, I, I just I still think there's there's a hangover lingering from 2020 not having baseball being played. And I know Gunner was at the alt site, but you can't replace 150 games in the minor leagues. And these you know these kids are young and they're really good and they're super talented, but they missed out on 500 at bats, 600 at bats, and 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 that many more innings in the field. So I, I still think that, you know, for those questions, like you're asking, like, who's going to play short, who's the one, who's not, just pile them up. Just pile them up and give, give us as many good shortstops as you can, and it will create a really healthy competition for the whole organization. And that's kind of what we're doing uh, here. So that's exciting. The the guy that just got there, um, that's that's really kind of intriguing, I think, to a lot of Orioles fans is Prieto, right? Like he was tearing the cover off the ball and gets the call up. What have you seen from him early on? Like, what intrigues you about him? Well, he, he so the biggest thing that intrigues me about him is where he came from. Um, just the adversity he had to overcome just to be able to get where he is right now is unbelievable. When we think about you know a guy coming from Cuba, played for Cuba's uh, national team. Cuban baseball is a really high level. He's basically playing in the Cuban major leagues for the Elefantes, and all of that intrigues me about him because he's super, he's a super experienced player, and, and then he's a left-handed hitter that can turn in a really good at bat anytime through the lineup, no matter who's pitching, whether it's 
you know, the starter who's got four pitches or some good bullpen guy who's throwing absolute gas. He seems to be a guy that can handle both of those at the plate offensively. Um, I think that's credit to where he comes from. You know, he's played a lot of high level baseball before in Cuba before he got over here. And I think he's very experienced compared to some of the other kids that are maybe a little bit younger. So that, that, that intrigues me. Um, you know, and I mean, left handed hitting second baseman. Yeah. They can really turn a double play. I think, um, I think everybody needs one of those. Yeah, right? there's a lot to like about that, isn't there? There's really yeah. a lot to like about that. Can, can you put into words, I know we're going to wrap with here in a second, but can you put into words that, what it will mean to this organization as more, you know, obviously the, the, the philosophy has changed and they're spending money on international players now. What What's it going to do for the entire organization as we see more of these guys make these moves um, from the international market? Well, I think it'll just just really infuse the lower levels with a lot of life. Um, everybody from the, from the SCL up it should, should really start. You should really start to see a turnaround in talent and quality of player there, especially like in Delmarva and then eventually in Aberdeen. Whereas in the past, you really haven't seen that in this organization. It's been sort of hit or miss one guy here every five years or so. And so, you know, I hope just have, haven't been in this organization for a while. I hope that we could really see that, see that make a splash in our development system as far as like high A, double A, low A, where you see three or four or five really good international players at every level. Um, I know we just got that thing started and we just started signing really good players and spending money. Uh, so it's going to take us a few years, I'm sure, to get four or five at each level who we've actually developed since they were young kids. Uh, but that's going to be an exciting day you know, when we have not only draft picks in there playing, but you know, kids, um, international kids that we love too. All right. So uh, before I let you go, give me one name. Give me a guy that maybe isn't on the average Orioles fans' radar. You say you should be paying attention to what this kid's doing. Ooh, that's a tough one. One name. Um, well, um, Boy, boy, really put you on the spot, right? <laughs> no, I, I, there's, there's a couple of them. That's why, that's why I don't know. Where, all right, well, if you want to run through two quickly, that's fine. That's fine. We just, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to keep you all morning here. I know you can name a lot of guys on the team. I know, I know, Stowers gets a lot of publicity uh, of recent, but yep. he didn't in the beginning. So, Kyle Stowers is somebody, who, somebody who might have a chance to be big time power hitter in the big league. My and God, then, what he's doing over the last week or so is just it's sick. It's unreal oh, what he's yeah. been doing, man. Yeah, and that's who he is. You know, sometimes he'll scuffle, but then when he gets hot, there's no better hitter in baseball. Um, as far as that, as far as that, and then yeah, you know, pitching wise, I still think that Drew Rom is a guy. He's pitching for us, and you know, he he uh, pitched last night, first time back off the IL in a little while, but. Just heads up for Drew Roms sneaking into the big leagues and pitching forever because hmm. he's got the type of stuff that it takes and he's got the physicality for it. He's really young. He's a high school kid. So when he piles up a lot of innings and finally gets ready to go to the big leagues, just uh, guys like him are, are guys that stay on rosters and get a lot of outs for a lot of years. Jordan Lyles is a guy kind of like that that we're seeing right now at the major league level. And I don't know. I would have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure forever would be a record. I do believe that that would be officially a record if he makes it forever. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Kyle Moore, a great weekend, as I mentioned. It's at home, the Bay Sox home all weekend starting tonight and through Sunday. Kids run the bases on Friday and Saturday night after the game. Fireworks on Saturday, the return of the 1K beer.
beer run on Saturday. And as I mentioned, that Austin Gloveman Hayes giveaway, the bobblehead tomorrow to celebrate Top Gun and Sunday celebrating the Cats. Kyle Moore, really enjoyed this, man. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us. Let's do this again down the road, all right? Awesome. Thanks, guys. Kyle Moore, manager of the Bowie Bay Sox, checking in with us here on GCR. Yeah, I uh, think I might have to rearrange some plans for the weekend and try to get down to Bowie tomorrow night because my kids are going to want that. My kids love the bobbleheads now the way that I did once upon a time when I was a youngster, a young youngster, and uh, they greatly enjoy collecting the bobble. They got their uh, Trey Moonman Mancini bobblehead. They have the Manny Machado Santa Claus bobblehead from a few years ago. So I uh, might need to add the old uh, Top Gun Austin Hayes bobblehead to the mix this weekend down in Bowie. All right, today's show also brought to you by, ooh, this one's brought to you by Simply the Bets. Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning, 11.40 a.m., which is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland. Helps you get ready for the week of betting ahead. We do it every Tuesday and then every other Thursday, weekend at Bookie's at 11.40 a.m., all brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. When we come back in, uh, we'll get back into some lacrosse conversation ahead of the Final Four on Saturday. Jonathan Donville, offensive midfielder, talented goal scorer. Jonathan Donville joins us next, Glenn Clark Radio. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MDGambling help.org the biggest pro wrestling stars today and all time all have one thing in common you've heard them on jobbing out matt and nick jackson the young bucks thanks for having us man appreciate it the great kurt angle thanks for having me on the show i appreciate it matt riddle yeah man thanks man. the champ drew mcintyre oh, thank you for having me the great ron simmons Damn. Keith Lee. Appreciate you guys having me, man. Bill Goldberg. My pleasure. Charlotte. Thank you so much for having me. Mick Foley is with us. This is the greatest name for a wrestling show I've ever heard. MJF. I'm glad you're happy I'm on this show because I'm freaking miserable. Le Champion. Chris Jericho. Le Champion. AJ, Aaron, Brandon, and Glenn are talking pro wrestling every week on Jobbing Out. Find it at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Answering Baltimore's calls for help, running in when others run away, working together toward one shared vision for a thriving city. That's your Baltimore police. But the department needs more good people, people like you. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore police and make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages and excellent benefits on day one. Join for good at bpdrecruit.org. Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food, 410-477-1975. That's the Costas Inn, over 4100 North Point. Boulevard. 
The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Luke Jackson profiles Orioles catcher Adley Rutschman, diving into where his passion for baseball and for catching comes from and how he uses that passion to elevate those around him in the Orioles organization. Also inside, Bo Smolka takes a look at how the Ravens' 2021 draft picks can make progress in year two, and Glenn Clark offers a very unique tribute to former rival Mike Krzyzewski that all Maryland fans can appreciate. Press Box is available for free at over 500 areas locations including 60 Royal Farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com To follow the show on Instagram it's just Glenn Clark Radio and to follow the show on OnlyFans wait I don't think you're supposed to know about that one. Any hoodle take it away boys As we continue on a Thursday edition of GCR, today's show brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Final few days for you to take advantage of Glory Days Grill's spring seasonal menu. It includes the opener, the flash-fried pork belly with the Korean number two sauce. Also includes the strawberry salmon salad, the baseball cut sirloin, the Cracker Jack sundae, and so much more. GloryDaysGrill.com is the website. Get your order in it and stop by your neighborhood Glory Days Grill before the weekend is over. Come June 1st, do not be mad at me. Do not come crying to your friend Glenn because you missed out on the incredible spring seasonal menu at Glory Days Grill. All right, we had to do this a little bit earlier because of their schedule and preparing for their national semifinal matchup with Princeton on Saturday, but an opportunity to catch up with Jonathan Donville from the University of Maryland right here on GCR. Of course, coming up this Saturday, NCAA lacrosse final four on the men's side at Maryland. Looking to claim a national championship, finish a perfect season. Joining us now to tell us a little bit more about that and also his own media career. He is one of the more phenomenal offensive players for this Maryland team. He's John Donville, and he's with us now here on GCR. John, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to chat with you, man. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes for us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Dude, there's so much that I want to cover with you. You are fascinating, bro. Like, um, <laughs> let, let me start with this. You came to Maryland from Cornell. It's funny when I was reading about you coming to Maryland for academics. I'm like, yo, he was at Cornell. Um, you <laughs> come to Maryland. You get in the Merrill School. That's serious journalism, man. Like, did, Was journalism always something that you thought you were going to be interested in? Tell me about the background there. Yeah, so that kind of started when I was, you know, a kid and, uh, you know, came up through kind of the sports, uh, kind of the sports side of things and just thought that, that, you know, media would be a really cool uh, kind of business to be in. And, and, you know, I wanted to do sports. I wanted to, you know, be credentialed into games and, you know, get to watch all these, these really cool events and kind of cover them from that side of things. And, you know, I looked at some other stuff while I was an undergrad and some other careers, and then I kind of came back to the journalism thing kind of my junior, senior year and kind of realized, like, this is what I want to do. Wow, man. You're a podcaster now, too, on top of that? Yeah, so I'm working with a podcast called Back of the Bird, and uh, I'm working mostly right now as kind of a producer, more of kind of an editing role, but um, it's with two uh, lacrosse guys, who, two professional players who, uh, you know, have interviews on every week and, you know, learned a lot about editing and producing and you know, social media and all that kind of That's stuff. Awesome. So it's, it's been a really cool experience. So tell me about the, the, the goals, because obviously there's a big difference between like being a beat. You, you're going to be playing lacrosse moving forward. I'm just guessing, right? Like I'm guessing that's part of the plan. 
So is the idea, hey, I'll do that, and then maybe I'll, I'll do some of my own shows, media work, or like, do you really want to become like a, a traditional sports writer in the future? Yeah, I mean, I, I the answer is I'm not exactly sure uh, right now. <laughs> Obviously, there's, um, you know, as I hope to have a professional career as a player, that, you know, certainly takes me out of some of the kind of more traditional right. uh, media roles, but... Um, you know, it's kind of trying to evolve and trying to, you know, see the way I can, you know, hopefully leverage my status as a player into some some media opportunities and just kind of staying nimble like that. And then, you know, finding ways to do more traditional things uh, on in times when I'm not playing. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's really cool. I, I, I wish you tons of luck. But obviously there's a little thing, you know, we got to deal with beforehand, of course, being you trying to yeah. win a national championship. Um, John, how have you guys avoided the letdown all season long. How is it that you haven't had one clunker of a performance? Yeah, I think, you know, it comes from preparation and, and certainly leadership from, from seniors. And, you know, obviously I wasn't there last year. I, I think for guys who were here, certainly losing uh, the national championship mm-hmm. game the way they did, I think that was a big motivator. Um, you know, obviously I, I wasn't here for that. So I, I kind of had my own motivators with, you know, I didn't get to play last year and yep. that kind of thing, but, um, I think I think that was probably the biggest piece of it, and guys knowing that they were so close last year, and, and you know didn't get to uh, to have the experience of winning it, and I think that kind of carried us through. And then certainly, you know, I think Coach Tills is the uh, the best kind of game planner I've ever seen, and and gets us prepared for every game in an elite way, and he does a great job of of making sure the guys are ready and making sure everyone has the information they need going into a game. John, I was talking to Coach Tillman last week, and, and I was kind of running this by him. Like, how do you keep these guys loose? Like, how do you – does the pressure of carrying undefeated – and I, to your point, yes, you weren't part of it, but you know what the rest of these guys are going through after coming up a game short a year ago. Like, how, how do you keep that from getting to you, all of the pressure that you guys have to feel game in and game out while you're riding something like this? Yeah, I think, you know, I I, I don't think we've felt a lot of pressure this year, honestly. Wow. You know, I think we've kind of just been trying to, you know, be the best version of ourselves that, that we can be. And, you know, I think one thing that helps with that is just treating every opponent. And I think that's something Coach Tillman does really well is treating every opponent you know, like they're, you know, going to come into Maryland Stadium and and smack us around kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think we prepare. Coach Tillman does a good job of preparing with a great deal of humility for games, and I think that has kind of helped us avoid the letdown. Maryland Princeton Saturday two thirty up in Hartford. He is John Donville. He's with us here on Glenn Clark Radio. Um, John, obviously, you knew like what you were getting into when you came to Maryland, and you knew you know they were really good. There's a reason why they were so close, a goal away from a national championship a year ago in a perfect season. D- did you know how good? And I-, I know that sounds like kind of a dumb question, but I hope you understand what it is that I'm asking. Like, it's one thing to be good; it's another thing that that teams have not even been, been able to stay close with you guys and competitive. Did you realize when you signed up that this team had a chance to be that type of special this season? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I did. Um, I'm not sure anyone who tells you they did would, would really be telling the truth. You know, you never know until you start the season. And, you know, we've had, obviously, we have guys who are like Logan Wisnowskis who have, are kind of proven commodities. But we also have guys like, you know, Ajax Zapatello who didn't play a lot last mm-hmm. year who's, who's now stepped in and been really, really outstanding this year and obviously had a great game on the weekend. So, you know, it's been cool to see those guys kind of rise to the uh, occasion and, 
you know, obviously to join in and, and you know, just try to kind of do my job and, and pull the weight as best I can, you know, that's kind of in my focus. So, you know, I, I, I knew that, you know, we were going to have a good team and we were going to have a chance. Um, obviously, you never know until the season starts how it's actually going to go. Was there a game this season where it, like, hit you? You're like, oh, my God, we're a wagon. Like, did you have a moment like that during the course of the year? No, I mean, I think you try not to get let that stuff get to you uh, too much. You know, obviously, some of the bigger games, you know, people could probably guess, yep. you know, but maybe the Virginia game at Audi Field was a, a cool opportunity. But, you know, I, I, I more think of them not so much as, like, in that sense, but more just as like, wow, that was a really cool experience. So there's just all these games, there's really cool experiences and, and things that I'm going to remember for a long time. And, you know, the fact that we've kind of strung them together here has been, has been cool as well. Speaking of Virginia, you, you guys didn't get off to like the perfect start last week, right? Like it was kind of a little bit more yeah. sluggish and slow. Um, you know, I, I guess twofold. One, you know, how were you able to overcome that? But more importantly, do you think it might be, be a, have been beneficial in a way that it wasn't a perfect game, and it's given you guys maybe something to focus on this week as you get ready for Princeton. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it's never a bad thing to uh, to face a little challenge. You know, I, I think honestly they're just a really good team. Virginia was, and we yeah, came they're okay. A while to, <laughs> to to figure out uh, some stuff offensively, and then you know, I think Luke really got going at the faceoff um, mm-hmm. action. That, that kind of really was the difference um, in terms of the second and third quarter. So. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's certainly not, uh, you know it's never a bad thing to have a little adversity. You know, obviously we'd like to start a little bit better, and that's a focus for us this, this week is kind of coming out of the gates a little bit better, which I think is something we've done you know pretty well uh, all year. So we're just trying to kind of keep that going, and and so you know not the start we we're looking for, but it was good to see us uh, kind of bounce back and and get 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 going again. All right, I, I've been kind of avoiding the the thing, but it's funny. I was, I was talking to John last week, and I asked him, like, hey, do you try to block out all the, the stuff uh, when it comes to Virginia? And he was like, no, we embrace it. Like, we embrace that type of stuff. We know exactly what's there and what happened in past tournaments, and we talk about it. We're not trying to hide from it in any way. There is the possibility of what could be on Monday. Um how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the idea that you could be going up against your former team in a place that I know you care about for a national championship on Monday afternoon? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a possibility for sure. Um, you know, they're, they're a great team, and, you know, I'm really, really happy for those guys. Um, I love those guys. I love Coach Buzik. I love playing for Coach Buzik, uh, Coach Stevens, the whole staff there. I, I love those those coaches. You know, a lot of my, my best friends are still there. So, you know, I, I learned a lot of lessons at, at Cornell. I think one of the biggest ones is just the, the greatest sign of respect you could show someone as a competitor is to is to compete as hard as you can. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, that's, if it comes to it on Monday, you know, um, I'm going to go out there as I always try to do and compete as hard as I can. And I, I know that, that they're going to do the same, but, you know, obviously we got a big, a big, big. Of course, of course, right. I, really I, good Princeton team. I, I get it. Um, yeah, you can't, you can't look past anything. You know, if you don't get that opportunity, I, I totally understand exactly what you're saying. It's, it's just, you know, right. It's kind of a big deal that possibility, John. That's just sort of all that is. Um, you yeah. Know, you, you referenced not playing last year, right? Um, where did you have any questions? Did you have any doubts yourself? I mean, obviously you're still training, you're still playing. Like, did you have any concerns about what you were going to be coming into this season after going through a year of not playing? And we all know what everybody went through in 2020. 
Yeah, I, I think so. You know, I, I think, you know, yeah, I think there's certainly doubts before the year, personally. Um, you know, I, I felt like in right before kind of the pandemic hit, I was playing some of the best uh, ball of my career, and so that, that kind of made it especially frustrating for me when, when COVID hit because I felt like I kind of figured some stuff out. So I, I was worried about how that stuff translated. And then, you know, I was, I was lucky to get off to a, a decent start, I think, this year. And, you know, I, I scored early in the first game, which I think really helped me kind of just calm down and uh, kind of settle some doubts that way. I mean, it's it's something where, like, uh, you know, w w once you've done it, once you like, you're like, oh yeah, I'm good, right? <laughs> like, it's still a cross. I can I can still do this yeah. type of deal at that point. Um, you, the idea of winning a national championship, can you can you put into words what it would mean for you to cap your collegiate career this way? Uh, you know, I, I, not to be cliche, but you know, there are no words, right? It's, uh, it's every little kid's dream when you, when you grow up playing and, you know, it's just a cool thing to, you know, have the opportunity to play for a, a title and, and to kind of be remembered with these guys forever. And I think that's what we're playing for is we're playing for the, you know, to, for this team to kind of have that experience together and, and to be able to share that experience together kind of forever. So uh, it would just be incredible to, you know, be just a testament also to so many people who have helped me get here in my life and my career. So kind of think, been thinking back about a lot of those people over the last few weeks and, you know, just really want to go and, and put it together and put the best foot forward. I think that was the hard part about last year was, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't just that we didn't get to win the national championship last year at, at Cornell, we didn't even get to compete. And I think that's, kind of the focus for me this week is just whatever happens just kind of put your best foot forward and leave it all out there and whatever happens happens at sports but uh to the extent that, that we can control our own energy and our own you know competitiveness uh just try to do the best we can all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna this is a unique thing that i'm gonna do i've never done this before in an interview and i, and I hope that you'll have fun with it um because okay. you're a journalism student because you're now in the podcasting world, because you know all about this, I want you to rate me as an interviewer. Would you be willing to do that, John? Okay. Would you be willing to say, like, here's where I think your strengths are. Here's where, frankly, I think you could probably do a little bit better. I'm just being honest with you. Like, can you rate me as an interview, knowing everything that you now know about journalism? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean... And be, and be, you know what? I need you to know this, because like, you don't know me at all. I'm totally cool. You can have fun. You can tell me I'm I'm crap. You can do that, and we can have fun with it. All right. You don't you don't just have to say, well, you know, you were great. I, that, that, that's no that's no fun. You can have fun with it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I'm still the uh, I, I'm still learning a lot about interviews. Every time I, I do one of these, um, I'm learning a lot. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I thought you did a I thought you did a good job. I don't know. Maybe pick better guests next time. <laughs> that's, the only, uh, that's the only thing I'm saying. That's awesome. I appreciate your self-deprecation, my friend. You're a damn good player, and we were happy to have <laughs> you, you on, man. You're a fascinating chat. All right, let's what, let's get plugs in for you. Um, Twitter, Instagram, the podcast. Let, let's get all the plugs in, man. Yeah, so Twitter is uh, jdonville 13 and Instagram, I believe, is jdonville3. Um, yeah, jdonville3 on Instagram. And then the podcast is Back of the Bird. Back? Uh, we're on Twitter, Instagram, at Back of the Bird on Twitter and Instagram. And, yeah. 
That's awesome. And and you legitimately committed to the bid. I saw the, the picture. You sat in the back of the plane when you guys were flying out to Columbus yep. last week. It, yep, we did. That's that is I, sure I, I greatly appreciate your commitment to the bit, man. I greatly appreciate it. Hey John, um a lot of fun chatting with you, dude. It's been a lot of fun watching you play this season. It's been incredibly fun watching your team play. However this plays out, um, you know, it, it has been a great joy watching you guys all year long. But I am rooting like hell for you guys to win a national championship on Monday. Thank you so much for taking the time for us this week. Best of luck this weekend, all right? It's- yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's John Donville from the University of Maryland. Really fascinating cat and a hell of a player. They will look to get the job done this weekend, finish off the unbeaten season, and um, claim a national championship. It, it feels, I know when we were talking to Patrick early, it feels to many people like it's a fait accompli. Like Maryland, it's just that much better than everybody else. But... Bear in mind, you still got to win two games in three days. That is not easy. So, you know, just um, just just file it away as we go into the weekend. They head up to Hartford on Saturday to face Princeton. All right, so Griffin, this is a game we like to play every now and then. Uh, and every uh, show in the world has weird ways of doing this. The zany news story, the... The world of WTF. We, there's many ways we go about doing it. We like to do it Mad Lib style here. I'm going to try to make it slightly easier. As you get used to it, there are going to be far more blanks. And I know you're going to say that's crazy because there's literally seven blanks in this. But I would have preferred there to have been one, two, ten blanks in this. I would have preferred to have been like three words that I gave you and ten blanks. This is a legitimate headline. Sometimes I doctor them slightly, but I don't change any of the facts involved. This is a legitimate headline that was a popular news story yesterday. All okay. right? Okay. Your job is not necessarily to get it right as much as to just come up with a group of words to fill it out, and then we can work through it from there. Sometimes the humor is in the group of words that you come up with. That's the Mad Lib version of this, all right? Paul always struggled because he thought his job was to solve the puzzle, and he would just sit there and just, just let the words flow. Whatever words come out, come out, all right? Got it. Woman who authored the book titled blank five words five words in the title of this book woman who authored the book titled blank five words convicted of blanking her blank okay Five words in the so, title. So a five-word book. Remember, woman who authored the book. Sometimes you like to type these out so you can look at them, write them down, whatever you need to do. But I, you know, this one again, I've made a bit easier for you. Woman who authored the book titled "Blank." Five words. Convicted of blanking her blank. Now you don't know this. Just normally, I like to keep these cheek- cheeky. Admittedly, there's something about this that isn't quite as cheeky. But it's just so insane, I had to go with it anyway. All right? Woman who authored the book titled Blank. Five words. Convicted of blanking her blank. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, you said it earlier in the week. I, I need to pick up a book, so I can't think of a ton of book titles. I, I, so again, I'm going to go Harry Potter. Uh-huh. Uh, it would probably be a big story if it was yeah, J.K. Yeah, I know. Rowling. So that's why, that's why but, I but know sure, it's definitely not it, that. But go with it. Harry Potter. I guess Chamber of Secrets. Chamber of Secrets. Would be five words. That works, yes. Convicted of? Of, jeez. Uh, it's an I-N-G word. 
Uh huh. Blanking uh, her blank. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Uh. Mm-hmm. Uh. Mm-hmm. Stuffing. Okay. Her. Okay. Uh. Turkey. Stop. Convicted of stuffing her turkey. I mean, I hear you. I hear. I I don't know why that would be a crime. I don't know why yeah, she'd be convicted of it. But sure. I mean. Maybe there are places where it is illegal to stuff your turkey. I don't want to live in those places. I want to make that abundantly clear. Wherever it is that that exists, I never want to be there. But you you at least did the thing you were supposed to do, and I'll give you credit for that. Thank now you. the way this goes is normally I would make you just guess again without, it, but we're gonna we're gonna skip ahead a step. There are seven blanks. You're going to give me a number between one and seven. I'm going to give away the word, and then you're going to try to solve it again. Okay. Huh? All right, I guess uh, the the sixth blank. The sixth blank. Yeah. Murdering. Oh, my God. Murdering. Yeah, so again, not as cheeky. Not as cheeky, but just stay with me. Woman who authored the book blank, five words, convicted of murdering her blank. All right, then I guess maybe the last one could be... Husband? It is. The last one is husband. You're right. Woman who authored the book. Is this blank. A, is it a well-known Five book? Words. Am, I allowed to, am I trying to get it right now? or I, I'd still work your way through it. Okay. Yeah, still work your way through it. Um, Five words. A book. A book title. Mm-hmm. Five words. Um, Any five words will do. Percy Jackson. Uh-huh. I don't know any of the titles. Of I don't know books. any of them either. Okay, so it's definitely not that then. Well, you don't know that. Well, if you, uh, the title. You, you would say I would know it at that point. I understand where your, your thought process is. You could use the same word five times. I just need five words. Okay. All right, fine. Yep. Be, the book could be called Apple, 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 Apple. Percy Jackson, Apple, Apple, Apple. There you go. No is the answer. And you went 0 for 5. Give me a number 1 to 5. I guess 1. How? Okay, so how to. How to. Yeah. Woman who authored the book, how to. Blank, blank, blank. Convicted of murdering her husband. How to get away with murder? Well, that's too many words. Oh shoot. Yeah. Yeah, you get you got four words there for a three words that are left. How to commit a crime. Mm, how to commit a crime. That would be kind of a, a dead giveaway, huh? Yeah. No, that's not the name of the book. Is how is how to part of it? Yes, how to is correct. Okay. Yeah. How to Do I get another do I get another I'll reveal? give you another crack at it? No, no, no. Give another crack at it for okay. it first. How to she got convicted of murdering her husband. Yeah. So she wrote the book, How to... How to blank, blank, blank. Convicted of murdering her husband. How to um, fight your husband. Fight your husband. Well, you got your husband. Correct. Oh, okay. <laughs> Woman who authored the book, How to Blank Your Husband, Convicted... Of murdering her husband. I, so is it is it really how to murder your husband? Woman uh, who authored the book, How to Murder Your Husband. Wow. Convicted. As it turns out, it's not actually a book. It's essay. I had that uh, okay. part wrong. But it doesn't make a difference. Uh, this comes from Where was the, that? Where the Guardian. That? Okay. I'll, I give you the information. A jury in the U.S. city of Portland, Oregon, has convicted a self-published romance novelist who wrote an essay titled How to Murder Your Husband of Fatally Shooting Her Husband. The 12-person jury found Nancy Crampton Brophy, 71, 71, guilty of second-degree murder on Wednesday after deliberating for two days over Daniel Brophy's death, according to reports. Brophy, a 63-year-old chef, was killed on 
June 2nd, 2018, as he prepared for work at the Oregon Culinary Institute in southwest Portland. Crampton Brophy showed no visible reaction to the verdict in the crowded Multnomah County courtroom. Lisa Maxfield, one of her lawyers, said the defense team would appeal against the decision. Now, how are you? Honestly. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence. What are you going to appeal about? (laughs) My word. I know. it's, It's a really tough, tough spot. The defendant's, the, defen- yeah. the defendant's 2011 how-to treatise detailed various options for committing an untraceable killing, written in the form of a brainstorming exercise for writers. I wonder how sh- closely she followed <laughs> I don't know. her own rules. Its opening reads, quote, as a romantic suspense writer, I spent a lot of time thinking about, mur- Jesus, thinking about murder and consequently about police procedure. After all, if the murderer is supposed to set me free, I certainly don't want to spend any time in jail. Right? And let me say clearly for the record, I don't like jumpsuits, and orange isn't my color. Well, I bet they have others. The blog post went on to detail motives, financial, like lying, cheating husband, abuser, and a discussion of possible methods. Knives were personal and close up, blood everywhere, while poison, considered a woman's weapon, was too easy to trace. Crampton Brophy wrote, guns were loud, messy, and require some skill. Jesus Christ. I don't really know how. I like how did this trial go? They like walked in. They were like, uh, "So, what evidence do you have here?" Oh, well, I I think we've seen enough. I mean, my God, what are the odds, though? Yeah, the, I I guess high. It's sort of it's sort of like it's sort of like when someone says it's unbelievable. Lou Gehrig got Lou Gehrig's disease. I mean, what are the odds, right? right? <laughs> Woman who wrote "How to Murder Your Husband" as it turns out murdered her husband. What are the odds? I know it's not cheeky, and I prefer cheeky. It's it's awful. It's an awful story, but yeah, but still, very sad. Sorry, yeah, but still, the guy. Yes, yes, our <laughs> thoughts are with. I know very much so. It's awful, but it was so it caught. It was so eye popping. I was just like, what the <laughs> f? Had to use it. All right, not bad, Griffin. You tried your best with that one. Let's Thank get you. a tidbit. Tidbit brought to you by the print issue of Press Box. It is available right now for free. At your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find PressBox, read it all, PressBoxOnline.com. Adley Rutschman is on the cover. Great cover story from Luke Jack- Jackson. Go find it right now, as we said, for free at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find PressBox. What you got, Griff? All right, I got a good one. Uh, so the Ravens signed Kyle Fuller on Tuesday. They Becoming did. the, well, I guess the second latest free agent because they signed Brett Hundley this morning. That's true. Yeah. We didn't talk about that. Should we talk? I mentioned it at one point. Okay, good. And there's definitely nothing else to say. Uh, he, uh, joining the Ravens and effectively pretty much filling just about you know any hole at any position on either side of the ball. Well, every position uh, except for receiver. Yeah. And so we talked about it before. We want to see the Ravens probably grab another receiver at this point, I guess anyone. Um, and if they do sign someone, would it even matter? Leading mm-hmm. me to the question, who is the best Ravens receiver in their first year with the team? And so, yeah, best is a broad term, so my question is basically, who has the most receiving yards in their first year with the Ravens? I only have one guy that I'm guessing. I'll give you, you should be able to get the top 10. Top 10 most receiving yards in their first year first season with, with the Ravens. With whether the Ravens, they were yeah, a rookie free agent, fr- rookie, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to guess Steve Smith. He is in the top 10, top 5. He had 1,065 yards, receiving uh, yards in 2014. Are we counting 1996? Uh, so I... I didn't want to because it yeah, gives I mean, you more to y- guess. So, well, I don't do mind want to, guessing do you, more, but what I'm saying is that, like, technically, right? Yeah, I mean, they were with the organization the before, Browns, but they weren't. Yeah, 
So I wasn't sure how to deal with them. So you left Michael Jackson and Derek Alexander off the list. I I I I I found out how many yards they had in there in 1996, uh, and they would be pretty high on the list. Yeah, they would be very high on the list. Yeah. Yes, that was when. So let's leave them. Let's leave them all. So you're leaving them all. Okay. Just needed to get that address. Michael Jackson had 1,201. Yeah. In 1996, and Derek Alexander 1099. Yeah. Both were very good. Yeah. Um, Derek Mason. There you go. Derek Mason. Okay, so moving up the list then. Derek Mason would be second on the list. He had 1,073 in 2005. So you have... So Steve Smith is actually third now. Right. Um, so you have you have two and three. And I got to name 10. Yeah. And they're all specifically receivers. Yes. Uh, the top 10, there is one non-receiver. <laughs> See, you said receivers. You're right. You're right. You got you to gotta, you gotta straighten these things up a little bit. Um. Now I gotta think about which one of them it is. I'll say it's Shannon Sharp. Correct, Shannon Sharp. Okay. He had eight hundred ten in the year two thousand. Uh. All right. Let's let's try to go rapid fire. Anquan Bolton. Yes. Right ahead of Shannon Sharp, eight hundred thirty-seven in twenty ten. Tory Smith. Rookie year, eight hundred forty-one, twenty eleven. Who had the most? I am struggling with that. Um. Man, I really am struggling with who had the most. Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown is right outside the top ten. He really, five hundred eighty-four. I thought it was more than that. I thought it was more. I actually kind of surprised that number still didn't crack the top ten. If I'm being completely yeah, honest yeah, with you, yeah, it is. That means there's got to be some really weird ones on here that I'm not thinking about, like um, Mike Wallace. You're right. Mike yeah. Wallace is in there. He is. Uh, he's actually fourth. He had a thousand yards yeah, in 2016. Yeah, he did. I, it's so easy to forget that he had a thousand yards. I know. Um, Kadri Ismail. There you go, number one. Okay, he had one thousand one hundred five yards. For- this is the funny thing about people forget just how good, like, or at least how productive Kadri Ismail was. Yeah. It's so crazy how we for- we like kind of treat him as though he was just a guy. When like in the pantheon of Ravens wide receivers, he was. As productive as just about anybody was. Yes. Yeah. Funny. He had 1,100 yards the first year in 1999. Then the Super Bowl year, he only had like 600. Then he had 1,100 the next yeah. year again. So. Well, I mean, they didn't really throw yeah. the ball. Not much that it mattered yeah. that year. They they just kind of ran the ball. They didn't have a quarterback. Right. I'm not that's, sure if you remember. That's why I preface my question. Would uh, it even matter? Not that they, they really had so quarterbacks much. in the other years, yeah. but um, oh god. Uh, okay. Uh, oh boy. So you got. Sharp, Bolden, Torrey Smith, Mike Wallace, and Steve Smith Sr., Derek Mason, and the, Kadri, the cutoff, well. the low number. We uh, Hollywood Brown was, was at five eighty four, so they all have six hundred or more. There's three guys that you're missing, all from the same season. All from the same season? Yeah. Three guys are missing, all from the same season. Wow. Um. Yuck. All from the same season. And that would be... I don't... I don't... I don't know. It was recent. It was recent. They made the playoffs that year. John Brown, 2018. Yes. yes, John Brown. John Brown is the top of those three. He had 715 yards. God, who were the other two that year? Now it's trying to remember specifically 2018. Uh, Willie Sneed? There you go. Willie Sneed and the last guy. Yuck. This is a gross list all of a sudden. (laughs) Um, the, The last guy... 
Crabtree? Yep. Jesus. Michael Crabtree. Mark Andrews Ugh. right outside the top ten as well. That was his rookie season in 2018. He had that 552. Is a, that is a gross list. That is a gross list. It's a yeah. good list. It's a good list. Um, but Thank it's you, a, kind of a gross list. I had fun making that. My computer. So good luck to Charlie Kohler and yeah. Isaiah Likely, <laughs> yeah. who are at this point are the only two. Well, but they're also the, not receivers. You got to. Well, gotta, yeah, yeah, but yeah, receiving yards. Uh, receiving yards is my. I apologize. My computer restarted because so I needed to pull up uh, tubular here on the uh, the old telephono. All right, uh, very good. Total Tubular brought to you by the Baltimore Police. Join a proud new generation of Baltimore Police. Make an active difference in your community. Start with competitive wages, excellent benefits on day one. Join for good, bpdrecruit.org. All right, uh, here's what's coming up tonight, Totally Tubular. Orioles, of course, off. Maryland baseball, they weren't able to play this, the first day of the Big Ten baseball tournament yesterday because of rain in Omaha, so they're starting it today. Their first game is tentatively scheduled for about six, but they're just trying to like they're basically they started the day and then they're game after game after game. Whenever the next the first game ends, they play the next game, next game, next game, next game. So it's I believe the third game of the day, and whenever it's played is when it's played. Uh, Mass and Rockies National seven, MLB Network Cubs Reds twelve thirty, Yankees Rays six thirty, Blue Jays Angels nine thirty, TNT Mavs Warriors game five at nine, ESPN Rangers Hurricanes game five at seven, Oilers Flames game five at nine thirty, Golf Channel for uh, round one of the PGA Char- Charles Schwab Challenge at four o'clock, French Open coverage right now on the Tennis Channel, uh, Maryland's Francis TFO a loser unfortunately, David Goffin earlier today. He's terrible. He's just not good at the French Open. He's literally won one match at the French Open his entire career. It's not his surface. Uh, and some pro wrestling today, NXT UK at 3 on WWE Network, Access TV for Impact Wrestling at 8. Some non-sports highlights? Uh, not a ton. Let's see. Top Chef on Bravo. Let's see. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly is going to be on Fallon tonight. You, you're missing the most important one. It's MasterChef Junior. MasterChef level is going to be that next very one. On Fox, MasterChef Junior at 8 o'clock. Um, you know who XXX Tentacion is? No. He's a rapper. He oh, actually, he actually oh, died I, a few I, years ago. Yeah. He was big when I was in yeah, high school. Yeah, I am familiar it's with it. a documentary on Hulu Okay, coming out tonight. All Look right. at me. All right. Sure. Um, I believe you. That Dan Michael Che season two premiere. I didn't know that was a thing. On HBO Max. Yeah, I didn't know there was a season one. Okay. Um, I like then, Michael Che. Don't get me yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's that's pretty much it. If you're like me and you're going to stay up all night, uh, right. Obi-Wan that, what, Kenobi. What time, what time is that? That'll be 3 a.m. And what time is Stranger Things? Stranger Things. I guess that comes out at midnight, too. I would, I but is know. it three a.m.? Do they do the the West I'm Coast? I'm not sure. Thing I'm too? not sure how Netflix does it. Yeah, but I mean, if you're on the West Coast, it's but only it's midnight really for tomorrow. You. Is the point. yeah yeah tomorrow. tomorrow? It'll be on tomorrow's TV. So I, w- I wore my Star Wars shirt today, though. Okay, all right. I'm very proud of you. Since I won't be here tomorrow. All right, very good. Thanks today to Kyle Moore, manager of the Bowie Bay Sox. Thanks to John Donville from Maryland Lacrosse. Thanks to Patrick Stevens, Carlos Colazzo from Baseball America. We'll get all that uh, up in the greatest hits section of the. Oh, gosh. We got we to work on that still. I know it's going to be a while. Practice it while you're gone. Okay. All right. When you come back, yeah, I have a lot you got to really deliver it. All right. You okay. got to really deliver it with oomph. Oomph. Okay. All right. Griffin's going on a trip. Where are you going? Colorado? Colorado. It's not still snowing there, there right? No. I mean, so what do I you do? it could at the very top. My, my cousin uh, is getting married. Oh, he's getting married. Yeah. Right. Well, that's different. She is thing. getting married. She's yeah. getting married. I thought it was a just a graduation trip. I, thought I mean, it it basically kind of, I mean, it, it lined up that way. But so, so. What, do you, what do you do for a week? Uh, well, so we actually drive out there. Oh, Jesus. We've Christ. done it before. It's not too bad. You say that. It yeah, sounds yeah. wretched. It's, it's not too I mean, now, like, all of us are old enough to like, When's take the wedding? Turns. The wedding is uh, next Thursday. But well, we plan, so we, we, we always like to stop at, uh, you know, baseball fields, try to go to. New Where parks. are you going? We're going to Target Field, see the Twins. Never That's definitely not on the way to Colorado. Well, we've gone like straight through before, so we've stopped in St. Louis before. We okay. want to go north this time. 
Okay. You've never well, been. You're the, going. The you greatest ball the, or the, the biggest ball of twine, the largest ball of twine. You're, you're going to make sure you squeeze that yes. in while you're yep. on the way. Near Minneapolis. Like so I do like that. That's important. Probably stop at Field of Dreams as well. Uh, never been there. Well, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Hopefully the Orioles get a game there sometime. Yeah, that would be very Who's cool. Who is it? The Cubs and the Reds this year, I want to say, if I remember correctly. The Orioles playing in uh, Williamsport, obviously, this year, the uh, Little League thing. But can't really get a ticket to that. Just the way it goes. Yeah, I'll let you guys know how Target Field is. Uh, sure. I get a, need an in depth breakdown. That's the thing we've been waiting for on this show. That's why you tune into this program, the in-depth breakdown of Target Field. All right, Zach will be back with us tomorrow and for all of uh, next week, and then Griffin will return. Um, tomorrow on the program, I want to say we're going to have Morgan State's new football coach, whose name escapes me, and I apologize for that. Damon Wilson, maybe, I believe is his name. Um, and we'll probably try to catch up with Bo Smoko tomorrow because they had uh, OTAs this week. So, I don't know, stuff and things tomorrow on the program. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including Glory Days Grill, Royal Farms, the Baltimore Police, Great Eights Memorabilia, the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel, Baltimore Orioles, your local Toyota dealer, buyatoyota.com. Thanks to Griffin, at Griffin underscore best. Thanks to Ryan, at Rexpex Ryan. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great Thursday evening. Go Maryland baseball. Duke sucks. Ohio State sucks, too.